0: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
1: Your guide on the side.
0: Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter
1: at Dr. Matt Show.
0: Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
1: This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr.
0: Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio.
1: BYU Radio.
2: Good morning, everybody, and happy Friday to you. It's happened you made it another week. We're so proud of you. Dr. Matt here joined by Terry South and Jeffrey Liam Simpson. The gang is gathered to celebrate your Friday with you. And what better way to do it than uh, to just bring up a little Kim Jong-un, who now is name-calling President Trump after tr- President Trump called him names. A gangster? What did he call him? He called him some kind of a gangster. He called him deranged. Okay. Did he call him a gangster? He did, according gangsta. to BBC. Did he say it like in a cool way like gangsta? No, I don't think he did. You sure he didn't say gangum style?
3: that's the better
4: better
2: korea oh that okay that's the that's the good korea yeah those are the good guys there's
4: good korea and worst korea
2: (laughs) interesting boy it's uh that's the problem with name calling once you start calling names then everybody starts calling names Hmm. remember when i caught you and jeff fighting in the hall and i'm like no name calling he called me some names that were very creative i thought interesting seriously amazing profound You're in trouble. Hmm. Uh, By the way, you will not believe it. If anybody thinks that America is not united, that we're divided, no. Because when I drove downtown uh, last night, I totally saw Spider-Man hanging out. I don't even know who the villains were, but like with some really bad dudes just hanging out near a bus stop. Hmm. This was the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man? Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. He, by the way, didn't look as strong as I thought he would look.
4: He's kind of sinewy.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Like really sinewy.
4: Yeah. Spider-Man's not a big guy.
3: And then I saw- He's got a bunch of- He's got some acne too, doesn't mm. he? He's well, he had a, a mac- huge acne problem.
2: Uh, yeah. I think it's bacne. backne, Yeah, he has- It's on his back. Okay. <laughs> but um, uh, I didn't see his face because, of course, he's masked. Well yeah. But then I saw a bunch of um, ga- uh, Galax- What are they called? Garden, Guardians of the Galaxy people. Are you sure? Yeah. I think I know what yeah. you're. They could have
4: been Smurfs. No, no. All right.
2: Well, they could have been. All right. But no. Some they, of those guys no, are blue. No, but they had other Guardian of the Galaxy people.
4: All right. Was it? A, was there a tree or a raccoon?
2: I didn't see, but one of them was holding something that looked like a little
4: root. Well, did you Groot, know Groot. Groot? the root. There you go. Yeah, Groot. That's did... why I'm questioning the whole premise of this. Did you no, know there was an, an event going on? Nah. There's an event
2: going on this weekend. Was it like a superhero gathering event? Yes, of sorts. Yeah, I I think I'm seeing it. I saw that. Oh, okay. I saw some villains. Hmm. I even saw some Star Wars people, of course. I don't want to call them characters because I'm pretty sure they were just people. No, they're characters, for sure. All of those people are characters. It's pretty cool. So anyway, anybody that thinks, you know, America's divided, that we're falling apart, we're not. It's under control.
4: Gathering of superheroes. In just, Salt Lake City. just when we ignore certain topics, focus on other stuff. Yeah, well, yeah. politics is crazy. Just stay away.
2: But if you notice, most of the great, most of the great superheroes stay out of the politics. Sort of. They just make stuff happen.
4: Some step in occasionally. I no, mean, Captain America started by punching Hitler. That was his first cover.
2: Wasn't the Beast from <laughs> X
4: Men? He was in politics, he was. right? He was the uh, the president's. A uh, special counsel, I believe, on mutant affairs. Yes. Oh, wow. Or maybe there was a secretary position at that point. I'm not sure. I think it's neat.
3: Hmm. Who's the head of the mutant affairs now in Trump's cabinet? Oh. Uh, DeVos. I,
2: I don't know. Oh. But I know, a billi- I know they're a billionaire. I know they're a billionaire.
4: What are her superpowers? She has her own private jet. Ooh. <laughs> Unlike the health and human services guy who charges the government for private jets.
2: Hey, what is this Comic Con thing?
4: It's a place where people show up and talk about, you know, a ri- a wide variety of entertainment possibilities. Because
2: a lot of these people were walking into one of those tents. It's really the precursor for Halloween,
3: because yeah. people yeah. go around with bags and they get candy thrown in there, and they all dress up. So, yeah,
2: yeah. that's that that. And man. a lot
3: of them have their moms drive them to the event.
2: <laughs> just, oh! just,
4: just drop Wait. me off out front, mom.
2: Mom, drop me off down the street. You're so not cool. This minivan Everyone is so... Everyone will see me. <laughs> you can't jump out of a minivan if you're dressed like Spider-Man. Um, so Comic-Con in Salt Lake's going on. Big, uh, I mean, really, a, an incredible gathering. Mm. What's his name?
3: Uh, the the blue guy from Guardians of the Galaxy. I saw him He'll yesterday. be there. I saw him. Mm. Kind of a
2: skinnier version. I think it was... No, think, the the actor that portrays
3: him yeah, will the be actor. there. the
1: actor,
2: yeah. Oh, no. I saw Michael the real Ricker. guy. Michael hmm. I saw the real guy, but I think he's probably got a – like he, I think he's anemic. Really? The blue guy.
4: He <laughs> he's was, just having a tough month.
2: He, he, he looks sickly. The one I saw was very, very thin, he gaunt.
4: He may just need a sandwich. <laughs> Get his blood sugar back. Yeah, that's it.
2: Um, <laughs> <laughs> so sad. So uh, here, today we're going to talk also about a lot of the media companies are in trouble. They're, yep. not, they're, they're not making the money they used to make.
4: Nope. So when you need money, mm. where do you go? People mafia? who have money. Well, you, sometimes. You could go to the mafia. There's probably a history of that somewhere. Need a book on you that. You go to a billionaire. Yeah.
2: And then someone like Jeff Bezos throws down some money. Yep. Bada boom bada bing.
4: He Amazon. Ma- he, he manages the company. Um it's interesting because like their print subscription rates i yeah. mean the 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 problem is people don't read the paper the physical newspaper yeah. and they don't, the the ads in the newspaper they can charge more than they can charge for ads online right and so when people aren't buying the physical newspaper as the you know as they used to you start losing money yeah. and so you start making cuts and people lose jobs that's when you call amazon and so you call the, the 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 rich guy comes in and takes over and then he ignores the fact that circulation is down and just kind of pumps money into the system and that was also some political events that happened in the last year or so. It yeah. kind of elevated uh-huh. the ability for this, uh, the Washington Post, to to continue. And the problem is finding someone who's going to kind of ignore the loss of money for a while, right? Until you can kind of stabilize things, and well, that's
2: tough. What would they want in return? Are they just so yeah. good-hearted that they just want to, you know, shore up a struggling empire or a struggling media company, right? Or are they looking for something in return? It depends. Like, so
4: far, Be- I believe Bezos has kind of just, it's been on the up and up. He hasn't come in and tried to... hasn't, yeah. Like, like they, they report on Amazon, you know, this last week there's... The story I had yesterday about some bomb-making suggestions on their website, yeah, right. those stories are in the Washington Post. It's not right. like they're trying to censor. No. So, But see, you've got... But, these, but others have tried. Boston Red Sox owner
2: John Henry is a billionaire that owns the Boston Globe. B- billionaire Glenn Taylor owns the Minneapolis Star Tribune. Yep. Casino magnate Sheldon Adelson owns the Las Vegas Review-Journal. The Huntsman family that are billionaires, uh, part of that group owns the Salt Lake the Tribune. Salt Lake Tribune. I mean, it's... And so what's the problem with that? Well, our guest today will be talking about the fact that there is a slippery slope.
4: uh, In Las Vegas. When this takes – when when this happens. The billionaire Sheldon Adelson, who all Republicans go to to get money when they run for president, he bought the Las Vegas Review Journal and then told people, "Okay, let's stop talking about me in the paper. Yeah, let's not do that. And a lot of their editors and several of editors and writers left – Because how are you supposed to cover Las Vegas when there's a guy who owns huge chunks of the town you can't talk to about him because he's the boss? Well, you even see with
2: President Trump how he wants the media to treat him as a billionaire. So if President Trump didn't become president but went and bought a media company, you could see how he would want them to respond. Right. And it kind of makes sense because you're paying for everyone except what happened to the good old –
4: you know. Fourth estate. But that's one of the first things I learned as you know, taking communications classes yeah. in college is that everyone has a gatekeeper. Everyone. There's always a boss, there's always someone who supplies your money, and they have an opinion, yeah. and their opinion matters because they pay everybody. That's right. So at always. some level, you have to acknowledge who owns what company. Yeah. In- who owns NBC? Do you know? Uh, Disney. Comcast. I was going to say Carrot Top. ABC is Disney. <sighs> Uh, Kim Jong-un. CBS. Well, okay. CBS is Viacom. Yeah. And they have movie interest. They own everybody. They, and if you notice, if you ever watch 60 Minutes, yeah. they get a lot of book authors on there writing big books with controversial subjects. That comes from Simon & Schuster, who is also owned by Viacom. Uh, it's a family see? event going see? on. Remember so you, when they were Simon
3: & Garfunkel? Oh, I liked they, them better then.
4: So you have to know these associations to kind of understand... What the filter is that you're getting the news through, Well, hold it. That's if you want to actually be informed. Right. If what you really want to do is just go to Comic-Con, <laughs> you can just go to Comic-Con and ignore all this, yeah, but th- it mean, up.: So yeah, I don't know. is the billionaire model the way to go to save media? Well, and are you really
2: saving media, or are you just you know transferring loyalties? Hmm. for the time? I mean, some of these still won't make it. Because at some point, if it's losing money, it's losing money. You can't. And then the scary thing is, billionaires
4: didn't become a billionaire by not being a smart business person. Unless they own a sports franchise, and then they'll just throw money at the thing, even if it's not yeah, making any. Yeah, that's true. Because it's sports, money. it's different. Well, yeah, but sports is, you know, sports is the fifth estate. Is that what
2: it is? It is now. Okay, cool. I'll, I just, I'll, I'll make a note. I just stated it. So we'll be covering all of that fun, plus um, just other lessons of life. Because it is Friday, it's time to just sit back hmm. and work the rest of your day. Don't quit. Yeah, don't quit yet. Yeah, don't quit. Quitting times of five. Yeah, five, yeah. Quitting times. Uh, quitting, quitting times about three thirty. Or then you Then clean up your desk for an hour and a half. Or, or 11.30, 10, Or 10 o'clock. Or 10 o'clock. It all depends. Actually, 9 o'clock for me today.
4: <laughs> okay, let's get to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on? Facebook will turn over Russian advertisements that were purchased on the social media platform to congressional investigators. We believe it is vitally important that governmental authorities have the information they need to deliver to the public a full assessment of what happened in the 2016 election. Facebook General Counsel Colin Stretch said in a statement like his name is stretch because stretch. it's a lawyer so what do they do do they stretch the truth depends on your your viewpoint ah. uh russians uh bought ads on facebook as part of efforts to meddle in the 2016 election is the accusation senator mark warner of virginia democrat a vice chairman of the senate intelligence committee applauded facebook's decision president trump tweeted this morning that the reports of a russian ads on facebook during the 2016 presidential election is a hoax and pointed the finger once again at hillary clinton what about the totally biased and dishonest media coverage in favor of Crooked Hillary? Except, mm. you know, that media covered all her emails, which have turned out to be so vital in the yeah. long run here. So. He's still calling her Crooked here, Hillary. Yeah, it's his, yeah. It's his distraction. But isn't that better than Rocket Man? Speaking mm. of Rocket Man, North Korea Kim, uh, leader Kim Jong-un, as we talked about, called President Trump mentally deranged. Oh, there you in go. In response to a speech at the UN General Assembly. Uh, and Where, if you remember, Trump threatened to totally destroy yeah. North Korea if, yeah. if forced to. He goes, I'd like to advise Trump to exercise prudence in selecting words and to be considerate of whom he speaks to when making a speech in front of the world, Kim said. Adding Trump will pay dearly for his comments during... Uh, Uh-oh. That, that apparently is one of the first time that Kim Jong-un has, direct, has sat down at a desk and made a speech and it's it's him speaking it's oh, really? always through spokesperson you've never had him actually deliver the message himself some thought he was a Gen, uh, jim henson creation could have been a muppet you don't know <laughs> Uh, Trump tweeted about this this morning also. We'll just run through his Twitter really? feed here as we're talking. Uh, the Kim Jong-un of North Korea is a madman who doesn't mind starving or killing his people, which according to evidence may be true. Mm. Uh, new this morning, North Korea's foreign minister threatens to detonate a hydrogen bomb in the Pacific Ocean. So now he's holding the ocean hostage. He's, yeah, he's going to go up to the ocean. <laughs> I won't hurt Japan yet, but... I may th- blow up a bomb over the Pacific Ocean. Uh, new out yesterday, former New England Patriots tight end and convicted murderer Aaron Hernandez was found to have severe CTE, a neurological condition connected to uh, repeated head trauma. He was 27 years old. So on top of the the nuts thing, where he's a millionaire, Super Bowl winning tight end, and he's still and then committed a, a major doing like gang like related killing thing. Yeah. He also had the the brain damage at 27 that hey. guys are showing up with like at 60 years old yeah. is having. So, so which came first?
2: Not sure. Uh, but I think it is telling us football dangerous. Yeah. <laughs>
4: Apparently <Really? laughs> football's dangerous. <laughs> um, so, reminder this weekend oh into the world. Really? Allegedly. Oh, that's right because of the uh, yeah. We have this ah. we have this planet, right? But so I wanted
2: to watch football.
4: Here's some tips. Uh, tip one, you know, surviving the end of the world. How do you do that, right? Okay. So first is um, realize the whole thing's fictitious. Planet X isn't going to crash into the planet. Just live your life like normal. Okay, Don't worry okay. about it. that's a good Okay, start. so if you're going to go ahead and sign up for the conspiracy. Right. If you're into this stuff. Here's some ideas. And by uh, the way, and you're done with Comic-Con. So Planet X, due to hit Saturday, will spark a series of events unlikely to kill us all uh, based on Revelations 12.1, if you're interested and missed probably... Analyzing a scripture, yeah. I guess. Um, unfortunately, with only two days to go, you may be limited at this point of some of the mm. options you can take. The first step, move out of your house, preferably out of the country. Hold on, but he's destroying the world. Planet X will impact the whole globe. Right? It, it won't take out the planet, but, I mean, it's going to cause a lot of damage. Well, I mean, I guess you just really have to decide where you want to die. Yeah, basically. So if you're a governmental worker, you'll be okay because uh, the government has massive underground bunkers. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, conspiracy theories. So you got to just kind of, if you're going you're gonna to take part Hold of it, you've got to so take if, it all. Hold
2: on. So if I have a family member that works for the county,
4: yeah, yeah. do they uh, have a bunker? This is more federal ah. than local or county. So, yeah. Author David Mead has been trying to warn the world about uh, the Planet X impending uh, end of civilization as we know it threat. Yeah. Thankfully, as well as uh, complete unproven theories about Planet X, it has completely unsound ideas where we should be Saturday. If you're on the coast, leave. There's a chance anywhere low-lying could simply be eliminated by tsunamis as the ocean rises out of its base during the polar shift. Uh-huh. Be a polar shift. He added, you might be better investing somewhere in Belize rather than in the... I've been to Belize. Really? Parts are really nice. Belize. Yeah. Believe uh, me I've love. seen it on House Hunters before. There's yeah, some yeah. people buying some nice property down there. they're yeah. cheap, because, you know... Well, I hear it in about the exchange a week rate. it's going to be really cheap. It says, by the first week of October, you better have a strategic relocation plan in place. Start thinking ahead, people. Holy cow. (laughs) I am not ready for this. By the way, there's been predictions that Planet X was going to collide in December 2016. Didn't happen. April 2016. Didn't happen. December 2015. That didn't happen. (laughs) Um, Prior to that, it was predicted to coincide with the Mayan apocalypse in 2012. That didn't happen. There was
3: even a film about that. Yeah, and
4: then Nancy leader, an American website writer who claimed to have an alien implant in her brain, predicted it would destroy the world in 2003... Of course, that didn't happen. happen? Yeah, and so NASA's come out and they're saying, "Okay, we've never seen this. It's not on any chart. It's no, this doesn't exist." Well, it's it's going to happen. I mean, according everyone thinks. I mean, there's
2: how many was that? Like ten times they've predicted it.
4: So (laughs) Belize, that's where you need to go. It's nice this time of year. Is it? (laughs) I guess I need. It's near the equator.
2: I don't even have a swimsuit. Well, really, go native. Well, I throw them out after the end of the year. You've got to rotate them. Yeah, it was really cold last night, and it started, so I just threw all my suits out last night. Well, that's what you get when you wear a Speedo. You need more coverage. Yeah. Great point. Great point. Up next, folks, we're talking about the slippery slope of uh, the billionaire media model. Uh, Is that the way to go? Somebody's got to help some of these companies. We'll be talking about it. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us on BYU Radio.
1: It's the, it's the end of the world as we know it. It's the
2: end of the In July, Laureen Powell Jobs, wife of Steve Jobs, bought a majority stake in the news organization The Atlantic. And this isn't the first purchase of a news company by a billionaire in recent months. The Washington Post, the Boston Globe, the Minneapolis Star Tribune and the Las Vegas Journal are now privately owned. And to talk with us about the slippery slope of the oligarchy media model, we have Dr. Rodney Benson with us. He's a department chair and professor of media, culture and communication at New York University. Uh, Rodney, thanks so much for being with us today.
5: Thank you, Matt. It's a pleasure to be here.
2: Is this so? This is a trend that worries you. All of the the billionaires buying up the media sources.
5: Well, it's uh, it's a it's a mixed bag, uh, you know, and I think we have to be uh, careful to not, uh, you know, to think that this is going to be the absolute solution. I mean, in, in many ways, it's an improvement from the stock market traded ownership that's really dominated over the years. Um, you know, you look at. The, uh, Tronc, for instance, that uh, owns the L.A. Times, the Chicago Tribune, they just bought up or they just sold – or excuse me, they just bought uh, the paper. They're in the process of buying the paper, uh, the Daily News from Mortimer Zuckerman. Hmm. And uh, in that case, I'd say that's, that's going downhill because Zuckerman is basically – He's taken losses in that paper for many years, and he's tried to maintain the quality. And uh, it'll be interesting to see what Tronk does to that. But I think we have to be careful to sort of assume that these uh, billionaire investors are going to uh, always be the solution. It's a mixed bag.
2: Yeah, we um, we saw even here in Salt Lake City, uh, we have a Salt Lake Tribune um, paper, and uh, the Huntsman family, John Huntsman, uh, is a billionaire. And I think one of his children – took some of their money to buy the newspaper out and uh, really to save it, because who, who knows if it would have been able to stick around. But are, th- are they doing this for good business? Because uh, the Huntsman's were kind of saying it's more of making sure that there's another voice because there's 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 another paper that's um, that tends to be more conservative here in Salt Lake. And um, is it about is it about a purpose? Is it about a mission or is it really just about an investment?
5: Well, I think, uh, you know, it, it, with private ownership, you don't have that pressure to maximize shareholder value the way you do with a stock market owned company. So part of the advantage of uh, private ownership is that they can uh, not make profit their, their only motive. Uh, hopefully, they probably don't want to lose money. Right. But, uh, you know, m- uh, making 20% profit is maybe not that important to them. So, you know, it's, the, there's certainly civic-minded uh, owners that come in, and they and they they they're they're motivated, as you say, by trying to keep a, a newspaper in business, as, as as an alternative to other sources. That if they didn't do it, maybe no one would do it. But um, you know, you, historically, there's been abuses. You look at the uh, Hearst paper, you know, right. Randolph Hearst, uh, and. Um, More recently, there's been concerns about Sheldon Adelson's ownership of the Las Vegas newspaper, Um, and it's partly in the eye of the beholder. You know, Rupert Murdoch – Murdoch's an interesting case because that's actually – News Corporation is actually a stock market-traded company, but it's really dominated by the Murdoch family. And uh, he's brought a tabloid sensibility to the American media. He's used Fox News. He's used the New York Post to try to shape electoral politics. And um, so depending on your perspective, that's, that's what happens when you have a strong owner, whether it's through uh, controlling the voting shares of a company like that or having a strong family presence in management that uh, is different from a large uh, publicly traded company, say like Tribune.
2: Yeah. In fact,
5: you had – tell
2: maybe the story about casino magnate Sheldon Adelson then in Vegas because they do – I even feel like you see it if president – because there was big talk about President Trump maybe starting a media company um, before he became president of the United States. But you you can see how he relates to the media, how he wants to kind of turn the media to tell his message, Um, I I guess – is that what we're seeing with examples of like Sheldon Adelson?
5: Well, and Adelson's uh, a big Republican donor and a cons- conservative donor to a lot of causes, and he doesn't try to hide that. And there was practically a revolt inside the newsroom when he bought up the paper, and a real concern that he was trying to uh, shape the shape the news. There's been a long tradition that the you know the publisher plays a big role in on the editorial page. Mm. Uh, and there was uh, one interesting study that looked at the Wall Street Journal and uh, just at the editorial page before and after Murdoch bought it. And there was definitely – it's always been a conservative editorial page, but after Murdoch bought it, that editorial page got even more conservative and more partisan. So – but that's not really a surprise. And actually Murdoch has been fairly uh, hands-off on the news pages, and people still, I think, feel that the Wall Street Journal is, uh, plays their news pretty straight. But the problem – comes in, when, and I think that was the concern at the Las Vegas paper, is that where the publisher is intervening more directly in news choices and and breaking down that line between editorial and, and news.
1: Hmm.
2: It really, it's, it's a weird situation because it seems like the minute the media is so focused on having to make money, then you worry that they might be selling their stories or – and you even bring up great points about, you know, maybe focusing on certain markets that make more money for them, tailoring more stories to meet those markets. So the the news is no longer kind of an equal opportunity news.
5: Well, that's that's the downside of our, you know, hyper-commercial media system as we rely on commercial media to provide – uh, the public good of quality journalism that in Western Europe is provided by generally by public media like the BBC and uh, and commercial media has to make a profit and also there's pressure for them to uh, reach audiences that are tend to be higher consuming higher income higher education audiences that advertisers want and that um, that trend is uh, only exacerbating in the the our current media environment. And so these uh, billionaire owners, their sensibility, their kind of their social networks, they're, you know, you have to wonder, they're they're out of touch with ordinary, ordinary Americans.
2: Yeah. I mean, again, and that's who we see being placed in the cabinet as well. So there are fewer billionaires, there are fewer um, uh, media companies, I guess that's another concern, billionaire or not. A lot of these these conglomerates of media's organizations are now forming, so there's fewer owners uh, overall. Well,
5: that's you know, and that's uh, there's two aspects of ownership that I've tried to emphasize in my research. One is we've often talked about concentration, and that's clearly a problem. Uh, Sinclair owns, I think, about 170 local TV stations, Mm. uh, and the Gannett Company owns over 100 newspapers, and so. There's, there's massive concentration of ownership. But the other aspect is the kinds of uh, media ownership we have. We have the stock market traded companies. We have these uh, individual private owners. We have uh, venture capital firms moving in. But um, it's also important, there's other kinds of ownership like nonprofit or public media. And, and if you have a diversity of ownership forms and that can, that's just almost as important as you know how how many uh, firms you have, but how many different types of oh uh, well, true you huh, have. how you spread it out, right exactly. And we don't have do we have
2: really a, a public I guess PBS is that the P- only public PBS, ish?
5: Well, PBS and NPR are both okay uh, public. They're they get um, funding from. Uh, individual donors they get funding from foundations, they get funding from corporate sponsors, and, uh, and they get a little bit of money from uh, government it 's about three dollars per capita huh. that they get from government funding, or three dollars per person average across this country, and that compares to about one hundred to two hundred dollars. Per capita in Great Britain and, and you know the Scandinavian countries Germany, so it's real. The U.S. is a real outlier. We have a very weak public media system, and the public media system we have is is a niche media. Really, it's basically it's only reaching maybe two, three uh, percent audience share. The BBC still gets thirty to 40 percent audience share. Yeah. Uh, uh, so it's and the problem we have. I think we have great quality media in this country. But it's um, Arthur Solzberger once said, "You know what he's in the business of doing is providing quality quality journalism for quality audiences," and I think that that tells you a lot, right? Yeah. <laughs> that, uh, yeah. In the sense of, yeah, uh, if you're the right demographic,
2: if you fit our right, market, yeah,
5: if you fit our market, we're going to give you quality news. <laughs> and this really, uh, just one one telling study uh, between Western Europe and the U.S. found that if you look at the high High uh, top 20% education income in 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 the U.S. versus Great Britain and uh, Scandinavian countries, Germany. Um, that their their understanding, their knowledge of public fair affairs, international affairs, is about at the same level. Hmm. But if you look at the bottom 20%, the in Western Europe, people are well informed, but here they're not. Yeah, and that's and that's because they're not being exposed to. Uh, Quality media. They're, they're and I think that's a, a big part of that is that we don't have adequate public media. It's,
2: well, isn't that funny? Because we have public schools, we have public, we have you know, into the public and the 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 government has decided. Yeah, we need to educate everyone, but um, we don't have a public media option. I guess it's. And why is that? What? Why would you say we've been so averse here in the United States to that?
5: To public media. Uh-huh. Well, there was, you know, there was a moment in the 1930s, 1920s when uh, we faced a choice. Herbert Hoover was actually did not think that the radio waves should be commercialized, <laughs> right? So there were there were strong advocates to, that basically said we should do we should be doing what the what Great Britain is doing with the BBC, but uh, in the end the private radio companies prevailed, and so we set on a course that emphasized commercial media. And so our public media came very late. Right? So it yeah. didn't come until the nineteen sixties and seventies and it's always been just a kind of a small add-on. So, you know, part of it is just what people are used to.
2: You're right. You and, know? Yeah. <laughs> and we're so driven by capitalism as the model that we we maybe aren't seeing but a lot of your data shows certain groups aren't being represented they're not and, and we're not reaching them so then they i guess that you get a more targeted media that really has no money to, or not ta- yeah like targeted smaller uh rags or whatever you want to call them that are right. trying to reach these these very small niche groups they're,
5: they're well they're they're not always super small but they're 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 limited you look at vice or vox they're right. doing some great work yeah um and their audiences in the millions but um but compared to the entire population, yeah, they're still niche media. So you know, we we Western Europe is capitalist. They just have a mix. They have a mixed system, and they recognize that. The commercial media can't be the whole thing that you have to supplement it with other kinds of media. You
2: bet. We're speaking with Dr. Robert or Rodney Benson, and Rodney is the department chair and professor of media, culture and communication at New York University. And we're talking about his article, The Slippery Slope of the Oligarchy Media. We'll continue the discussion in just a minute. As we come back, we're going to find out what do we do about it? Are there solutions? How do we uh, make it so it's not just, the you know, billionaire men's club really it sounds like how do we make sure that uh, we can actually trust uh, our media organizations that's all straight ahead on the Matt Townsend Show Welcome back, friends. We're talking with Dr. Rodney Benson, who is the Department Chair and Professor of Media, Culture and Communication at New York University. He earned his Ph.D. in sociology at the University of Cal Berkeley and today is talking to us about uh, the billionaire – really, it it seems to be kind of even more of a billionaire boys club that – that are out purchasing these struggling, financially indebted, I guess, organizations. These media organizations. Amazon founder Jeff Bezos uh, owns the Washington Post. Boston Red Sox owner John Henry owns the Boston Globe. Billionaire Glenn T- Taylor owns the Minneapolis Star Tribune. Casino magnate Sheldon Adelson the Las Vegas Review Journal. And and it's uh, I guess it's nice, Rodney, in one way, right? But in another way, it's it's potentially dangerous.
5: It's it's potentially dangerous, and I think that um, we just have to be vigilant. We have to look closely. I think the 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 danger I think increases when the owner has business interests um, beyond outside the media world, outside the media world. And so I think with uh, Bezos, who's moving into retail, groceries, and all kinds of other businesses there the the potential for conflicts of interest uh increase and so we have to we have to be careful i would you know look closely at their business coverage and i guess it's um
2: the, the, i guess the rich kind of have the power the place to do that um in the end too like we're BYU radio we're owned by the LDS church and to be a nonprofit uh entity there's a really powerful benefit to that that i see just being here um but it but there is always in the back of your head uh, who owns you right or who runs this how do journalists and what do you teach uh in your program how, how can a journalist walk that fine line
5: well you know i think that there's you have to try to be as, as professional as possible you have to kind of guard that uh wall between the business side and the news side or the ownership side and the news side. Um, but, you know, every every uh, organization is going to have its blind spots. It's going to have its no-go areas. I mean, the the Christian Science Monitor is a great uh, mm-hmm. newspaper, and now it's mostly online. And they do – won awards for the international reporting. I've talked to reporters there that said this is the – you know, they'd worked for several leading – Commercial news organization. They said, that "I've had I have more freedom here than I had anywhere else." At the same time, there's a no-go area at yeah. the Christian Science Monitor, which is about medical news, yeah. right? Because and it's not so much, but it's and what what they told me is that where other where other uh, newspapers would present medical news as kind of like this is a fact, the Christian Science Monitor would say, "Doctors say," yeah. right? Yeah. So they would, and that was just a. That's just how how, they handle it. That's how they handle it. They just said, this is a, for us, this is, there's, there's some, there's some debate here. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. And so I don't think that's a big price to pay. I think the, so what you have to have is you have to have lots of different forms of ownership, uh, lots of different voices, uh, that can kind of keep each other in check and balance each other out because no single news organization is going to give you the whole picture. And the freedom
2: I feel uh, like in this situation we're in here at BYU Broadcasting is money is not the issue and marketability is not the issue. So it's really just more about quality, get quality, get quality, get quality right. content out there. And and I just see it. Every show we do isn't even market tested. It's just if it's quality, let's put it out there. And yeah. there, there's power in having that be, a, a, I think, even a stronger performer – because then if all of a sudden our quality in a nonprofit version can go or even compete in the marketplace with, uh, you know, maybe um, a more, you know, venture capital owned conglomerate, then all of a sudden you're going to get
5: a different mix. I think that's right. And I think that what you have on the Christian Science Monitor has, ProPublica has, the best nonprofits, they have uh, some kind of long term organizational support for what they're doing. And that gives them that security and that freedom to do excellent mm. work. The problem in the nonprofit world is that a lot of these uh, nonprofits are dependent on short-term project-based grants, and they're just continually yeah. scrambling. Yeah. And that puts a lot of pressure on them, and there's uh, subtle pressure on the kind of reporting they do. This has been a problem actually for PBS as well. They, they've relied a lot on these project-based grants, and there's been some, some ethical – Problems as a result uh, to sl- of slanting their coverage. Hmm. So you know it's, uh, the nonprofit media can work uh, if the foundations and if the owners through churches or universities or whatever step up and say we realize that this is not. Uh, I mean, for for many of uh, the donors, they say we're going to give you money for five years and then you transition to the market. Right. 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 And then and then you, but basically they're saying and then you become like all the other media. Yeah. It's like, well, what's the point then? Right. Uh, the reason you're you're doing this kind of quality work is because you don't have those commercial pressures. Yeah. And, and
2: so, I guess that yeah. that's what you run into is th- then you're always beholden to the dollar and the dollar keeps changing its color or shape or size every few months or years. Does um, well, what are the answers? I mean, I guess I guess a more a government it's more government supported media do we need to pick it up th-
5: there where do we go i think there's multiple i think the the nonprofit uh solution could be improved again if you get uh foundations to change their policies and to to be
2: look longer term
5: uh, to look longer term less project based support a stronger uh ethical code uh, i know there's there's been efforts to move in that direction to uh to prevent uh direct uh, pressure, um, and I think one of the big issues for nonprofits is the circulation and the, and the distribution of their work. Uh, a lot of times they're not reaching a, a large public and we have to figure out how to circulate that work. Hmm. But sometimes, it, you know, ProPublica, uh, they're the ones that broke this story about Facebook and the political ads and right. the Russians uh, buying, and that's, that story's gotten great circulation. So sometimes when they can break out and, and reach that larger public, um, but you're right. I think also expanding public media. We've got to increase the funding. We've got to um, increase the uh, autonomy of public media from direct congressional meddling. It's the, the reason mm-hmm. the BBC is so good. It's not be- just because they get more money. It's because they have a they have a 10 year royal charter that sort of establishes the terms of the agreement. Between the government and the and the BBC, and during that period, there can be no oh meddling, you know, great, no meddling, and uh, and the funding is not in the general uh, tax funds. It's a it's a dedicated license fee tax that everyone pays, so uh, they don't have to compete with other programs for their funding, and uh, a host of other kind of measures that protect their autonomy so that they're not uh, instrumentalized by the government. And if you look at the BBC. Coverage of of the the British government they're they're often super critical so yeah. there's no you know they can be public media can be very independent I love that idea too and boy it
2: just doesn't seem as likely with the current administration who's even so anti the PBS uh, as well so and again evidence might show that maybe there needs to be a better charter between the government with that money. Um, but a nice 10-year charter might be even healthier. Well, we appreciate it. Rodney Benson, thank you for your insight and uh, continue your good work there at NYU. He is the professor of media, culture, and communication and the department chair. Boy. A lot to learn, folks, a lot to learn, and a lot to stay and try to keep balanced when it comes to our media. We'll continue the discussion, and uh, up next, a little message and tangent from Leanna Tan right here on the BYU, uh, BYU Broadcasting Station, Matt Townsend and The Matt Townsend Show. Over the years we've talked on the show a lot about how to set your goals and achieve your dreams well one of our producers liana tan did that this summer when she ventured out to new york city for a couple of months and now she's back to tell us about it and what the big city really has to offer
0: this summer i was able to accomplish one of my lifetime dreams uh. visit the big apple
1: Look at her with the fur curve
0: That's right, I spent two months working out more than ever for rent in an Upper East Side apartment overlooking the city streets working at a local news station in Manhattan. I remember the moment I stepped off that plane into the city of dreams, took in a deep breath, and inhaled more toxic pollution than my body had ever known. My distant dream had suddenly become a loud, bustling, smelly reality. Now don't get me wrong, I absolutely loved my experience in New York, but after eight weeks of being there, I felt like I got a taste of more than just the glitz and glam of New York. And I've come back to tell you all about it. Here are six of the best and worst things about New York. Number one, meeting famous people. This was definitely at the top of my list. I was able to be in a live studio audience of a different talk show a couple times almost every week. Famous people just roam the streets there. And one of the best moments of my life was meeting Jimmy Fallon in real life. It seemed like every few days I'd be at a park or a news event or something, and someone of celebrity status in one way or another would be there. But while going to shows is really great and everything, the traffic is absolutely horrible
4: when you trying to get out across that East River you can forget about it Santa Parkway slam
0: for the Kennedy all the way up to the Guar- I don't know how New Yorkers get anywhere on time even if you plan in extra time you never know how long your train can be delayed or if your bus will ever actually even come you might as well turn around go back to your office and call it a night or if your uber driver will randomly decide to take the scenic route what takes 10 minutes to drive in the suburbs could easily turn into a 30-minute commute in the big city number two trying new food. New York is heaven to foodies. There's a different, unique restaurant every few steps you walk. Every restaurant seems to have its own fusion of novelty recipes and creative atmospheres. The first person I met in New York happened to be a personal chef and took me to a new, delicious local restaurant every week. But I have to say, of all the posh, unique foods I tried, one of my favorite foods of New York was just their classic $3 deli sandwich on every street corner. A warm, round roll filled with hand-cut turkey and perfectly sliced tomatoes and cheese. It's just something about them that you can't find anywhere else. But you know, maybe it's not the novelty of them that makes me love them so much. Maybe it's their price, because that's really where I feel the most at home. You know, $3 purchases. New York food is good, but just like everything else there, it is so overpriced. I think that was the first $15 hamburger I bought and definitely the first $15 meatball I have bought. They must charge for all the extra weight gain that comes with it. Number three, nightlife. New York nightlife is unbeatable. It truly is the city that never sleeps, and it really comes alive when the sun sets. There's always something new to do there. I love how New York is so old and historic, yet so hip at the same time. I remember I stopped dead in my tracks and my jaw just dropped when I first stepped into Times Square. I was in awe of the Broadway shows, the baseball games, the comedy sketches, the karaoke hotspots. There was never a dull moment and always a new adventure just down the street. But as fun as nightlife is, the smell of New York, day or night, is inescapable. Most of the time, the streets were filled with the unique smell of toilet mixed with hot garbage, spilled coffee, and exhaust fumes. There's no relief. If you want to step away for a breath of fresh air in the bustle of the day, you'd better hop on a train to the next city over.
6: This hour of
3: programming brought to you by the New Haven Convention and Visitors Bureau, Connecticut. Life
7: smells a little bit better up here.
0: Number four, Skylines. Skylines. I can't get over how breathtaking New York skylines are. Every time we'd turn a corner on the freeway and see that silver outline in the distance, it would take my breath away. The city lights are to die for. It's definitely a must see. One of the most unforgettable sights is walking across the Brooklyn Bridge during sunset. I had to keep stopping every few steps to catch my breath because it was so gorgeous. The architecture of New York and all the bridges and lights and towering structures are truly a piece of artwork. However, all that artwork made it really hard to ever see or feel the sun and left very little room to ever see a patch of green grass, it seemed. It's like all the grass of New York was consolidated into one central location called Central Park. And you'd think with all that architectural skill, they'd find a way to build a public restroom or maybe a drinking fountain every now and then. Yeesh. Number five, diversity. New York is a melting pot of quirky, unique people from all walks of life. You've got the super smart Ivy Leaguers. The Juilliard performers. The gang bangers. The coffee shop waiters. The stuffy businessmen. The
1: inspirational
0: And everyone is so willing to talk to you and cut the small talk. But that does come with a price. I met a lot of cool, nice people in New York, but I also met a lot of people with an attitude. Everyone has an opinion on everything, and some people forget to mind their manners. The typical New Yorker attitude isn't just a stereotype. I found out it's accompanied with a lot of road rage, swearing, street vendors trying to scam you,
2: hey buddy, you want to buy a timeshare?
0: And random people on the street constantly asking you for money. And number six, my internship. It was definitely a culture shock at first, adjusting from the typical Salt Lake City news, like where the next big marathon will be held, Big hint, it'll be downtown. to news in the Big Apple. Like covering three murder cases, a robbery, and a fire all in my first week. But despite the often depressing stories, surviving being trapped at the bottom of the totem pole, and avoiding all the politics and death glares when people learned I was visiting from a Republican state, my internship was... Pretty cool. New Yorkers have a strong work ethic and are always willing to work hard and take themselves to the next level. I loved having the opportunity to work directly with the host of a news talk show and with the anchors and reporters and learn as much as I could from them. And more than scary or depressing, it was fun being in the mix of everything New York, going out to scenes of news stories every day, like being in Times Square when the mass accident happened in the summer, and meeting new people like politicians and celebrities, and just down-to-earth local shop owners or wedging myself into press conferences, and visiting so many of the nooks and crannies of the five boroughs of New York. Overall, it really was a life-changing and eye-opening experience. It was definitely one I won't forget. And that's one more thing I can check off my bucket list. So, I guess what I came away with after two months in the big city is that we're all chasing dreams. And if there's something you've always dreamed of doing, just do it. Contrary to Frank Sinatra's lyrics, though, you don't have to go to the big apple to make it. You can see your dreams come true right where you are. Well, I'm Lana Tan, and that's my little tangent. This is The Matt Townsend Show.
1: Your guide on the side.
0: Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter
1: at Dr. Matt Show.
0: Call the show at 1 855 Chat BYU.
1: This is The Matt Townsend Show.
0: Dr. Matt Townsend now. on BYU Radio.
5: BYU Radio.
2: Good morning, friends. Happy Friday to you. And it's not just Friday. Yes, it's also Hobbit Day. So today's the day you celebrate your hobbits in your family. You know who they are. You sing this song with your family every night around the fireplace, don't you? Well, in a circle. Yeah, we stand in a circle and we just kind of rock back and forth. Yeah, tribute to Bilbo. It's Mm -hmm. Bilbo's birthday today. Happy birthday, Bilbo. Uh, It's uh, also known as Hobbit Day, if you're an avid Lord of the Rings fan, uh, which you are, I'm sure, Jeffrey.
3: Uh, I am. I've I've read one of the Lord of the Rings books. I've also read The Hobbit. Really? I enjoy The Hobbit book better than the movie, but I think I enjoy The Lord of the Rings movie better than the book. See, that's
2: interesting because my favorite book, it was... um, the Seven Hobbits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Ooh, Covey. Ooh, I love that book. Yeah,
8: very. So there's
2: there's uh, Grouchy no, no, and no, no, Surly. That's, no, no, that's that's the Seven Dwarfs. Oh, okay. Sorry. This is the Seven Hobbits of Highly Effective People. So today we're celebrating Hobbit Day. Hey, grow! When you're just walking down the street, grab a Hobbit, give the Hobbit a hug. We're all the same. We're all just People. Maybe don't call them Hobbit,
3: though. Yeah. are they, they not like Might be that? offensive. And you know what I would well, do? Well, if
2: you're a Hobbit, you can call other Hobbits by that name. Well, yeah. A Hobbit by any other name is still a Hobbit. Hmm. Uh I think I saw that on a Panda Express fortune. That's right. And today also might be a good day to go get your Hobbit some new shoes.
3: Yeah, maybe take him to
2: a salon. Wax off some of that hair on their feet, extra wide, <laughs> extra wide <laughs> shoes. Uh, we got a lot to cover today. We're going to be talking about a, a new warning for families that you may be trading a full life for Facebook likes. So you might want to watch out for that. We'll have a great guest to come talk about some statistics. Dude, did you know this is an amazing stat? What's that? More people died from selfies Yeah. taking selfies than shark attacks. Yep. In
4: 2015, I wonder where they both collided. Where did you have the shark attack selfie?
2: Look at me on my look at me on my board, my paddle board. I'm paddle boarding. What the?
3: Isn't the memory enough? Apparently not. No, because mm. you no. have to
4: document the memory so you can look back at it and go, "Remember when?" But you oh. never look back at pictures. I never do.
2: No, I don't either. My wife said um, she texted me yesterday. I was doing a media uh, thing that I do on television, and She said, make sure you get some pictures of you doing your media event. And I didn't get that text until after the media event. And then she's – I haven't told her because she'll be mad. Not mad in a mean way, but why don't you just take a picture? Just take a picture. Mm. And I told her I can't because it will steal my soul. Oh, okay. Well, great. You buy into that old legend, huh? Yeah, it's not an old legend. Mm. Every time you take a selfie, a little bit of your soul is lost. I thought every time you take a selfie, an angel gets his wings. No, that's something else. Okay. That's something else. That's every time you hear a bell. If you don't hear a bell, there's an angel just got his wings. Or somebody died of a selfie. Uh (laughs) Or somebody lost some soul. So uh, we'll be talking about that. Plus, we've got some great empty news to give you today. Um, a, a, a Thai woman, I, in a way, I think she's very smart. she marries eight men and then flees with the dowry dowries. She's making money by marrying. Wasn't this the
3: premise of the Julia Roberts Richard Gere film
2: "Runaway Bride? Was it? It's pretty similar. Yeah, I don't remember I don't remember movies. I just watch them. I think it's because I sleep through a lot of them pretty sure you're
3: watching boring movies then no no
2: no i'm watching i mean they're the same movies you love but you really? remember every detail because every movie i recommend to you you hate well yeah <laughs> I, I don't go i i take terry's recommendations but oh, they're yeah. the same movies you watch huh you didn't <laughs> are they yeah like i I started your recommendation of the Ted Kaczynski Unabomber. How's that? That's awesome. Okay, there you and go. And my wife's even into it. Yeah.
3: You didn't like A Mighty Wind. Mm. You didn't like no. The Burbs with Tom Hanks.
2: Yeah. No. Yeah. Something's wrong yeah. with you. But I'm going to go to the the other one, Logan whatever that you... Logan keep, Lucky? I want to see that. You won't be disappointed in but that if, one. But let me just tell you, if I am disappointed... That's three strikes I'm out. Then I'm coming after you this weekend. Because that will be my date night with my wife. Oh, wow. So you're, you're really doing this? We're doing a, a date night to Logan Lucky. Wow. She doesn't know that yet. The pressure. Yeah. Yeah. Don't mess up. And so I'm just letting you know. I'm just letting you know right now, if it doesn't pan out, you better get out. Did you enjoy-
4: That's Which, another, which is another
2: movie.
3: And it's a good one, too. Uh, did you enjoy Ocean's Eleven? Yes. Okay. What about Twelve? Yes.
2: I didn't enjoy them. No, I didn't either. I remember. I enjoy them all the same. I was probably
3: right. Was there a third or
4: one or did they, they there realized There was. It was
3: Ocean's
2: 13, was
4: and that, I think it
3: was PG. Was that any good? It was better than Ocean's 12. Oh, wow. What happened to 10?
4: They started at 11. I know. I so, want to know what happened to 10. It's about 11 though. guys. Well, not, they're
1: going
3: to do eight with women. That'll be So cool. maybe they'll make it up to 10. Hmm.
2: I don't know why they always mess up the order like they did with Star Wars. Just... Come out in order. Hmm. Yeah, George Lucas probably had something to do with this. (sighs) It's confusing. Confusing. Um, Also, of course, we like to do the headlines. And I think we'll even do a little mind bender ish, maybe. We'll see.
4: We'll see. We usually
2: get a text here in the next 20 minutes whether that's going to happen. Also, by the way, we will be doing, (laughs) we'll be talking about screen cleaning because the third hour of the Matt Townsend show on Fridays is when we launch to the weekend. With the show called Screen Cleaning, hosted by Jeffrey Liam Simpson. See, that time you got the name right, but you almost forgot my name. You think I forget it, but I, what I really forget is your middle name. But I think it's so important to bring in Bernard. It's Liam. It's not Bernard? And he has a son named Stoss. Ah,
3: there that's you go. the first time you've gotten that right. Ah. See, but I had to
2: think. Like, I had to think about it. Yeah. It's all right. It's insensitive, but it's, I guess it's okay. It's not stas. No. Stas. Like Stanislav. Okay. We'll get to all that fun straight ahead. But first to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what is going on?
4: President Trump announced new a new executive order on Thursday that will allow the Treasury Department to target companies and individuals that trade with North Korea. It's unacceptable that others f- others financially support this criminal rogue regime, Trump said during a press conference with the leaders of Japan and South Korea. The order will allow Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin uh, discretion to target any foreign bank knowingly facil- facilitating specific transactions tied to trade with North Korea. Trump said, uh, Trump also preached Chinese, pres- uh, pre- uh, Chinese President Xi Jinping dis- his decision to limit financial relations with North Korea through Chinese banks as being very bold and unexpected. Bold and unexpected. He looked up and went, Oh, they're doing that. Oh, oh. <laughs> we appreciate that. Yeah, I don't know. If, I don't know if anyone in the room really yeah. knew it was happening, and they were it's told. Su- surprising. That was the the
3: alternate series for Bold and the Beautiful. Oh, it was really? The, they branched it off of that show.
1: Oh,
4: cool. Bold and unexpected. North Korea's top diplomat didn't seem phased by President Trump's vow to totally destroy the country if threatened the U.S. US or its allies. Korean Foreign Minister uh, Rai Yong Ho told reporters Wednesday. Uh, evening, the day after Trump bluntly called North Korea's nuclear activity in his debut address before the United General United Nations General Assembly, huh. that Trump's speech was like the sound of a dog barking. Oh. <laughs> there is a saying that goes, "Even when dogs bark, the parade goes on." Have you heard that saying before?
3: Uh, no. I think that's another Panda Express. Is that what it saying? is? Yeah. He
4: goes yeah. on. He says, "If Trump intends to scare us with the sound of a dog barking, then he is clearly dreaming." Asked about Trump's new nickname for of Rocket Man for North Korean leader Kim Jong Un, uh, the foreign uh, secretary simply uh, what he simply said: "I feel sorry for Trump's aides, <laughs> the people that have to work with him."
2: This is like, <laughs> this is not. This doesn't seem the way you'd want
4: this no. diplomacy to go, and not on Twitter, and not this way. And, and North Korea's foreign minister threatened today. Uh, The possible detonation of a hydrogen bomb in the Pacific Ocean. Yeah, that seems like an escalation. Yeah. Oh, boy. Fun stuff. Employees at the Environmental Protection Agency are attending mandatory training sessions this week to reinforce their compliance with laws and rules against leaking classified or sensitive government information. It is part of a broader Trump administration order for anti-leach training at all executive branches uh, and agencies. The Associated Press obtained training materials from the hour-long class, so they've seen the documents, Relatively few EPA employees deal with classified info, but the new training also reinforces requirements to keep controlled unclassified information from unauthorized disclosure. Hmm. I read the article several times. I believe the details of the story were leaked to the Associated Press. <laughs> <laughs> so you attend <laughs> anti-leaking training, yeah. and you go ahead and, and then leak it. And they were leaked. Yeah. So problem fixed. Yeah. We're no, moving on. I mean, you know. Now, Matt, you and your family. Yes. You said that you suffer from this situation. Okay, yeah, probably. Now, I want to know, is this good or bad, and how you're dealing with it, but it's in the Boston Globe now. Some parents, spouses, and teenagers are finding that texting each other inside the same house can sometimes actually make a household run more smoothly. Oh, yeah. Tired and hungry after a day of high school and sports, Isaiah Ramsey likes to collapse on his bed, grab his phone, and place a mobile dinner order to his mom in the next room. Oh, boy. Digital natives who are accustomed to summoning everything from their phones, restaurant meals, consumer goods, Uber are lounging in their rooms and tapping out requests for services from their parents. Can you bring me my charger? One child texts to his parents. Oh, boy. Parents who were initially horrified at the seemingly impersonal communication mode have not only made, it their, made their peace with it, they're deploying it themselves. It's the only reliable way to reach them when they're upstairs, says one parent, a mother of three. They're always looking at their phones, at Snapchat or Instagram, so they can't pretend that they can't see my message. The only reliable way
2: to communicate... With somebody upstairs Well you, other yeah, what about the legs? The legs will get you there. Well, they'll get you there, but then what? do you have to communicate with your legs? Yeah, start kicking them. <laughs> you might have to kick their door down if they won't let you in. That's the fastest way to die. Walking upstairs. If, if my kid texted me and said, "Hey, bring me a sandwich."
3: <laughs> By the way, my mother kicked down a door one time. Wow. I don't remember what I had done, Oh, boy. but I locked myself in the bathroom. She was so furious that she kicked the door down, and I think when she saw me cowering in the bathtub, it kind of calmed her nerves a little bit because it just
2: made her laugh.
4: Wow. That's intense. I want to know what you did. Mom, turns into have, a SWAT team. No, you I have know no what idea. you did.
2: You, you've you blocked it out for some reason. Let's talk about it for a minute. <laughs>
4: <laughs> Let's explore this. Let's, Let's get not. this out of deep
2: think the dark moment.
3: The important part is the humor found in the moment where I was scared for my life
2: <laughs> in the bathtub from my mother. Well, but does that that doesn't seem as funny? Like, what would be funnier? I think is if you had just sat down on the toilet mm. as if you were actually <laughs> using the toilet. Okay, that that would be funny. When I if I kick the door down and you're in the tub shaking. That would actually make me feel like I'm evil. But if you – if I kick the door down and you're sitting on the toilet as a little whatever, eight, ten-year-old boy, that would be funny. Hmm. You're like, oh, mom, did you need something? That's hilarious. Let's call your mom. I'd love to have the details on that. Hmm. Maybe during the break. I'm guessing she
3: doesn't remember either. She remembers kicking down the door, but she yeah. doesn't remember what I did.
2: How does a woman you never not do. remember kicking down you the door? You never remember what the kids did. No, it's always just some blind rage. That's why you're supposed to journal. Always <laughs> journal. After every blind rage, I journal. So back to this texting thing. Do your yeah. kids text you from
4: upstairs often? No. When they're upstairs, they're not even supposed to have their phones. See, that's what the article gives us some tips. It's just put like a basket by the front door. Yeah. Go to, go to some store that's pretentious, and get one of these wicker baskets. Oh, we've got a plenty of them. And then just drop it at the front door. If and you need a family. wicker
2: basket, call me. I've got or, a thousand And then them.
4: it talks about, you know, you put your phone in the middle when you go to dinner, and anyone who touches the phone actually pays the bill like it's brand new information, but whatever. Have you ever done that? No. You just don't grab your phone. Oh, my, we would end up paying for every meal. We just put, the, our phones go away, and we just talk. Well, my wife's going to accuse me of lying now, but. I mean, occasionally you have to look. But you've talked at dinner before. All the time. No, really. Talk too loud at dinner. Really? Caused a, probably a public nuisance at dinner.
1: Yeah, that's probably true. Yeah. I
4: don't know. I just find it interesting that parents are just giving in. Like, no, fine. Right. Yeah, don't do it, parents, because you're creating a monster.
2: Then their spouse is going to have to take their order. This is not good.
3: No. By the way, that was the name of your boarding school band, wasn't it? Public Nuisance? Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. How did you know about my boarding school, band? I It's my job <laughs> I
3: don't think to think I find I out everything I can about you.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I played the washboard.
4: Oh, nice. It was, that is a public nuisance. It was, it, was, it was a very poor boarding school. The soggy bottom boys or whatever they <laughs> Yeah, we we're the soggy <laughs> bottom boys.
2: Those were good days. Uh, Jeff's got a little a headline for us that uh, of a Thai woman <clears throat> marries eight men. Yeah, I mentioned runaway bride earlier yeah. with
3: Julia Roberts, where she just can't commit to marriage. Well, this is a little different, uh, and you'll hear why here in a second. Police are hunting for a Thai woman accused of marrying at least eight men before fleeing with stacks of dowry money. And uh, it ranged from 6000 to 15000
2: per wedding. But I thought the dowry came
3: from the female. I thought that too. So but one of the victims filed a report at the crime suppression division uh, yesterday against ex-wife Jairi Yaporn Namanbuyai. sorry, what was that again? Jayapornmanbuyai. She's 32. okay who allegedly cheated him out of a dowry four days after their wedding. After he transferred the money to her bank account, Naman simply said it wasn't a good time for her to be married because of a bad horoscope.
2: It's not you. It's my horoscope.
3: Lady, do you know how many times I've been given the bad horoscope excuse? (laughs) Come on! As of today, there is no verifiable report as to exactly how many men she has been married to. Police uh, visited the house of Naman's parents only to find that her
2: parents also had fled. Oh, wow. So Everybody's maybe fleeing. Her parents are in on it, her, too, yeah. maybe. Maybe they get a little commission Ooh, for yeah. every dowry transmission. A <laughs> <laughs> sweet little commission. So there's
3: a lot of illegal stuff going on. Yeah. So, you know, which is funny because we're going to be talking about hot tubs. Yeah. And I'm sure illegal things have happened in hot tubs before, but this one's a little different. <laughs> Sarcasm can be a tricky thing. Just ask Andrew James Harris, who, according to court records, discovered the joke was on him when he ended up the subject of an undercover drug sting. It all started at a hotel in Mission Valley, California, on March 26th, where Harris got into a friendly conversation with a woman and two men relaxing in the hot tub. Just relaxing, kicking back, kicking back after a long day. Nothing abnormal. I don't really like to strike up conversations with strangers in the hot tub. I don't even like to get in hot tubs with strangers. (laughs) Or in the bathroom. I don't like talking to people in the bathroom. So uh, he asked the reason for their stay, and one of them jokingly responded that their drug lab had been blown up. Kind of a weird response. How was your day? Ah, my drug lab was blown up. But the wisecrack was lost on Harris. He excitedly disclosed he was in the drug business, too. (laughs) Little did he know, his new acquaintances were off-duty sheriff's deputies from Marin County who were in San Diego for a two-week specialized narcotics training course. (laughs) And they were about to get some hands-on experience. The investigation progressed until uh, April 27th. The officer and another undercover special agent met Harris at a home improvement store parking lot. When he attempted to sell them drugs, he was arrested, according to the court document. Besides the drugs for sale, Harris was also in possession of $4,100 in cash, believed to be drug proceeds. Busted!
1: That's the old, why, get don't him bring while it up. you're in the hot
2: tub. Don't bring it up. If somebody, that's a bait, that's a trap. That cop baited him into that. It was a bait. Come get in this hot tub. Yeah.
3: There will be relaxing,
2: soothing sounds of the water and uh, drug talk. Whatever you do, when they say, when anybody leads with, yeah, my drug lab just blew up. Right yeah. then, right then's the moment you're like, you know what, I got to leave. Or, i got to get out of here. But what if they're just a pharmacist?
3: And that's what they call their pharmacy
2: is the drug lab. Well, yeah. Then then still get out of there. This is why you don't <laughs> hot tub with people you don't know.
3: So don't hot tub with people that are pretending to be drug dealers
2: and don't hot tub with pharmacists yeah. either. And all you really have to do to know if they're a cop is when he gets out of the pool, if he's got his belt on with a gun. Sure. You know he's a cop. Well, they were, <laughs> they were off duty. So y- – well,
3: yeah, but still, where do you conceal that thing?
2: <laughs> in, your, in your swimsuit pocket? Anyway, <laughs> lot to cover today. Um, up next, we're going to be talking with David Maxfield and uh, about the importance really of putting the phone. put your phone down, put your phone down. and instead open your eyes to the life that you're living. It's not enough to just go after a selfie picture. Instead, it might be more valuable to actually create a memory. We'll, uh, we're doing what we can on the program to help you live longer, love stronger, and lead a healthier life. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to BYU Radio. Do you often find yourself preoccupied with taking pictures instead of enjoying the moment? Events such as weddings, graduations, and vacations are perfect times to snap pictures. However, this can lead you to focus on your phone instead of the people around you. In one study conducted, fifty-eight percent of people said that posting the perfect picture prevented them from enjoying life experiences. And uh, here to talk to us about it is author and speaker Dave Maxfield. He is um, he is a New York Times bestselling author and speaker, and a social scientist as well. And works with uh, Vital Smart. Um, as a research, a vice president of research at Vital Smarts, which is a leadership training company. David, thanks for being with us today. Well, thanks for having me, Matt. This is such a, I mean, such a needed topic. What is going on with us where the concept of a picture that we could, I guess, post on Facebook is more valuable to us than actually the moment?
6: Yeah, we're calling it choosing to have a like over a life. (laughs) Oh, it's so true. Yeah.
2: And it's well, dangerous, right? Because not only are it, people are dying taking selfies, but I think we think our happiness is in a like instead of in the humans we're with.
6: Yeah, it can happen sometimes. I think it's sort of a slippery slope there. You know, imagine you, you're you taking a morning hike up up a mountain to see a sunrise, right? You get up early, you hike up to that mountaintop, and you, you, you enjoy that sunset. That's an experience. It's it's genuine, it's authentic, you're present in the moment. Now imagine that same situation, but the reason you're going up the mountain is because you've read some data on the Internet that you're going to get more likes and people are going to, going to notice you more if you uh, include fitness and sunrises in your postings. So now you've got this instrumental ulterior motive. Hiking up the mountain is a means toward getting more likes. The same activity, but now you're not present. It's not really authentic. It's not genuine. You're not getting that experience that you actually deserve. Right. You're doing it for the like. It's the wrong, it's the wrong reason.
2: And why, I mean, I guess is it, what is it? Is it this insatiable need to be liked? What, what is it that, because it seems like we would have over time evolved to be very present in our lives, and yet we really are very distractible.
6: Yeah, we're very distractible and we we don't always live in the present. We we're we're future-oriented beings, right? Cuz yeah. and that's helped with our survival over time. But I think what's going on here is something more like gamification. It's it's kind of like the slot machine or the or or the video game that gives you doses of rewards at just the right times at just the right levels to keep you interested, keep you engaged in the game. Hmm. So your life can easily turn into the game. And you're picking the easy and the and the external rewards over the over the real.
2: Yeah. And and it's so subtle that you don't know that you're you're you stay in the game because hey, I got just the right amount of dose. I didn't get overloaded, I didn't get underloaded. It was just the right amount to make me want to do it again.
6: It can you can slip into it. I the the, the reason we did this study, I was at the beach with a bunch of nieces and nephews who were playing in the, in the surf in Southern California, except I wasn't. Okay? My wife was. Our nieces and nephews were, but I was wading out in the water trying to hold a movie camera, trying to get pictures that I could then post to their parents. That would make them jealous about what a great time I was giving their kids, Hmm. right? Yeah. And at some point, my wife came up to me and said, you know, you'd have a lot more fun if you put that damn thing away. Yeah. And just jumped in the water, right? So true. And and she was right. And and it dawned on me that, you know, I'm not the only one doing this. So we started collecting examples. So we actually did a research study with a couple thousand people involved. And we got examples that would kind of knock your socks off. Here'd be an example. Yeah. A mother of a three-year-old saying she was in a grocery store and her son was acting up, and so she disciplined her son, and he threw a tantrum in the grocery store. Okay, you can imagine that happening. Well, she didn't have her camera out to record the tantrum, but she thought the tantrum was so cool that she disciplined him again a second time after she got her camera out so she could post it. Hmm. And then she realized after she'd done that, she thought, "What kind of a mom am I? <laughs>
2: <laughs> a double disciplining mom, so we can get it on camera."
6: Yeah, is that crazy? That is crazy. <laughs> what is
2: it? So, so talk more about the research because when you think about it, th- is that this isn't a teenager thing? This is an adult thing. This is a mom thing. I mean, this is this isn't this isn't a mistake. Fourteen-year-olds are just making.
6: Yeah, this is something that, that affects all of us. Um, and and it, it's not a problem for a lot of us, but but it's a bit of a problem. Yeah. So three-quarters of the people that we surveyed said they'd been rude or disconnected in a, from an event because they were trying to create posts for social media. Now, this isn't someone else saying they were rude and disconnected. This is they themselves admitting that they were. Now, we all see it in others. Ninety percent of the people surveyed say that they see people, often they're tourists or or they're at an event like one of their kids drama events or a basketball game where they see someone who's so involved in trying to get the perfect picture that they're obviously, you know, not a part of the experience.
2: That's so So, crazy. But I've done it the whole time. I'm thinking, yeah, I've done that. I've done that and it, it really is it's I mean that's even for social media. how many other things are we doing watching a show reviewing our email I mean working you could be working at the same game
6: Sure sure and and there's some there's some sort of, at the dramatic end we, we we refer to some folks as social media trophy hunters right yeah. they're looking for that ultimate trophy shot and it's so bad that in New York City they had to actually write a city law, an ordinance, against taking a selfie with a tiger (laughs) because that was the fad. People were climbing over the barrier so they could get close to the tiger cage and take a selfie with a tiger, and people were getting mauled.
2: Wow. (laughs) I mean, like, something shuts off inside of them. Like, I need this trophy picture, but what they fail to realize is they're going to be the trophy picture as the tiger devours them. Yeah. Wow.
6: Sad but true. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if you watched the Tour de France, but this last year, uh, a guy jumped out in front of the Peloton oh. to take a selfie with the bicycles coming down on him. Yeah, yeah. And they came down on him. <laughs> they, they ran right over him.
2: Oh, and look at how, and think of how many people that injured or I mean, oh, it, yeah. it, it's a very selfish act, isn't it? It's almost like a. It's, we're just so we're so not present that we don't realize how many people we're stepping on.
6: Yeah, and I think there's there's other sides to it as well. I mean, there's a there's the sort of the selfish part, but I think the the there's a lack of authenticity. There's a there's a feeling that you're sacrificing your own experience in an instrumental kind of way. I find there's another there's another challenge. It's that we're 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 picking the easy over the real.
1: Hmm.
6: And I'll give a real personal example. Um, I I have a I have a Facebook page, right? And yeah. it's a little bit like broadcasting on the radio, right? So you're you're broadcasting out to people. It's not really a genuine interaction. So my mom was getting older. She was in her 80s. And a friend said, well, she's in her 80s. You need to call her every day, at least once a day. You need to call her every day. And I said, well, you know, she can see my Facebook page. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's <laughs> up to date. <laughs> she... so, so I, I took the person's advice. I started calling my mom every day. And so that we would have things to talk about, I would try to send her a couple of photos, snapshots of what I was doing that day so that she would, so that I could talk to her about it. Now that felt very different from posting on a Facebook page
1: because
6: I would send her, you know, an image of what I was doing at work. Or if I was with a customer, I might shoot a, a picture of like the front of the building. So that we'd have more to talk about than just the weather and whatever she'd seen on TV that day.
1: Mm. Uh,
6: but, but that's using, using a photo to, to stimulate a conversation and a connection. Whereas I don't think social media people are doing that in a, in a, in a very successful way. Yeah.
2: Well, you were actually focusing on a connection versus uh, the content for the connection. Like, I mean, you know, it seems like the when you do it for social media, you're not necessarily connecting one on one with people. You're just getting an image out. And I mean, what what do you see in your research at Vital Smarts? Does like there is something about this authenticity where it's easier to just almost hide from truly intimate connection? Yeah, yeah.
6: Well you know, you, you hear people talk about their personal brand and yeah. sometimes it's helpful to talk to like a youngster and let them know that, you know, whatever they're posting becomes their personal brand. Cause they're posting stuff that they really wouldn't want to have part of their personal brand. Right? right. They're posting stupid stuff. Right. But, but at some point calling it a brand as opposed to an authentic you, what I, I have a, my, what I sense, It would be like what I want my brand to be, how I want to be seen by the public. But that's really different from how I want to be seen by my mother or by my spouse or by any individual friend. There I want the connection to be far deeper than what we think of when we think of a brand. I want it to be authentic and real, right? Whereas the brand always feels a little bit fake.
2: Yeah, no, it is. I want to
6: take that distance away. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: so true does when you look at it uh kind of as a as a researcher and as a writer um what what are what are your suggestions where do we go with this so we we don't get caught up in the wave of social media
6: yeah so i guess the first thing i want to say is i'm not a luddite i'm not against technology i love technology i love the fact that i can use social media and use you know FaceTime and other ways to connect with people, whether it's my mom or whether it's any, someone anywhere in the world. In fact, just before I got on this call with you, I was on a Skype call with people who were in Germany, Singapore, and Philadelphia, and we're able to see each other, interact with each other, and we're, we're going to get together in about three weeks together in, in Germany and do some work together. Hmm. But it's, I love technology. I use it all the time, and so I think that what happens is as new technology comes online, um, it upsets social norms, and and it takes a while for society to figure out new social norms that work. So an example, they introduced the telephone, (laughs) and it rings very rudely. Right in the middle of while you're trying to do a crossword puzzle or when you're uh, talking to a friend and all of a sudden that phone rings and it's just obnoxious. So, for example, the painter, Edouard Degas, refused to have a phone in his house and refused to visit anybody who had a phone in their house (laughs) because he found phones as so incredibly rude. Only rude people would have them. Right. Right. Now, over time, (laughs) we've sort of figured that one out. And some people figure it out faster than others, maybe because they've grown up with it their whole lives, or maybe because they just figure out some shortcuts or some, some hacks that work for them. So here's like an example of a hack. I, I call it snap, look, and listen. It's, there's nothing wrong with taking the photo. Yeah. Take the photo. But once you've got the photo, put your phone away <laughs> and enjoy Immerse yourself in the experience. So so snap, but then look and listen
2: and and get back in the game, get back in the the moment with everybody. We're speaking with uh, Dr. David Maxfield, who is talking to us today uh, really about how you may be trading a full life for Facebook likes. We will continue the discussion right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back. We are joined by uh, Dr. David Maxfield, who's the Vice President of Research at Vital Smarts, which is a leadership training company. He uh, is the author of uh, three New York Times bestselling books, um, or co-author of three of them, Crucial Accountability, Influencer, and Change Anything. And today he's giving us a a warning for families that you may be trading a full life for Facebook likes. Uh, Dr. David Maxfield, thank you for being with us.
6: Well,
2: thank you. And you gave some great advice before the break. It's fine. You don't have to, you don't have to be a Luddite. You don't have to be anti-technology. Uh, Technology's good, but, and you can even take your photo. But once you've taken the photo, the, other, the advice you give is snap, look, and listen. Take the picture, then re-engage, look what's going on, and, and, and start listening again.
6: Absolutely. Be a part of it. Enjoy your life.
2: <laughs> yeah, really, I mean, because I guess in the end what we're doing it because we think this will make us happy. But what does the research actually say about what makes us happy?
6: Well, there there is a, a clear correlation between these social media trophy hunters by the, how many postings you make uh, and and unhappiness. Huh. Right. So these people and it, it, I can't say that it's causal. I don't know what causes what but but the people who who focus in on 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 taking these trophies they get the trophies yeah. they get more likes right but they uh score higher on a depression scale as well it's not it's not a real good thing it it sort of further's that image of someone who's living their life um to get likes rather than to have a life
2: hmm. it's so true but and and part of it too is it's such a comparative thing where so I guess if your if your sense of worth or, or confidence comes from how many uh, likes you get, well, boy, once you see your friend has more likes, it's always going to be this comparative thing.
6: Sure, and we encourage it with each other. I mean, in kind of a it, kind of a joking way. It's sort of like someone will say something, and you say, "Well, it's not real if I don't see a photo of it."
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right.
6: And so now, now how. I mean, you're, just, you're kind of teasing them when you say that, but at the same time, they're, you're influencing them, and they're sort of saying to themselves, "Okay, did, is it real if I haven't captured it on film?"
1: Hmm.
6: And of course it is.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's,
2: It happened, and it's in our memory, and I remember in fact, there's even research I've read that you, by you being always behind the camera, taking the picture, you don't even actually possess your own memories because the memory was always through the camera.
6: Oh, we got a lot of examples of that when we were asking people, you know, for, for instances. So, so a person saying she was trying to, she was at her daughter's dance event, and she was trying to capture and post pictures and videos of the dance, and said she completely missed the dance itself. Her daughter came up to her and said, "Did you see me?" And she had to admit she hadn't really, really even seen her. Oh. Right? Or a, a a young woman who said she took her sister to a boy band concert. And they got close to stage, and she was trying to get the perfect photos. And afterwards, her sister said one of the band members had come up and said hi to her. And hmm. she'd missed it because she was focused on taking pictures. <laughs>
2: yeah, done, gone. Yep. So, so what are some other recommendations you give uh, parents and, and even people that have been social media trophy hunters?
6: Sure. One of them is to look at yourself the way an outsider might. So imagine there was a witness who's watching what you're doing right now as you edge up close to the tiger cage to get a selfie. Mm. <laughs> would, would they think you're a lunatic? Would they think that you're um, out of bounds? Right? And yeah. if so, don't do it. Like, for instance, there, we, were asked, we asked for you know, things you've seen. And one of the things that, that somebody post, shared with us was they were at a funeral and saw someone walk up with their phone and take a picture of the deceased in oh, their open casket. Yeah. Now, that's just wrong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We don't need to worry about evolving norms around that, <laughs> right? Oftentimes, there are evolving norms, and we just don't know what uh, the norm of the future will be. So, so, for example, we all pretty much know that we shouldn't be talking on the phone in church. Right. Probably not. Or in a classroom at school. Probably not. In fact, when you do a survey, 95% or more say no. That's inappropriate. But if you ask about should could you be talking on the phone or checking your email while you're checking out at a grocery store, it's about 50-50 hmm. as to whether that's appropriate or not. We don't have a norm on that yet. Now, if you ask the checkout clerks, they'd say, "Oh, we don't want them on the phone." Yeah. <laughs> but if you ask the patrons, they say, "Well, why not? I'm just handing around, right?"
1: So right. What's in the big deal?
6: Areas, probably in a few years, there'll be maybe a few more norms or maybe not. You know, some of these areas, we probably don't need norms.
2: Or a restroom. We, I mean, how many times has somebody been on the phone in the restroom?
6: <laughs> and how hilarious is that?
2: I mean, that's when I flush every toilet in the room. <laughs> but it, it doesn't well, seem to faze people. And so, yeah, like you're saying, we haven't formed the norm, right? So, um, but, but it doesn't mean that we shouldn't be thinking about it.
6: It, yes. And the way to think about it is to, to look at yourself as an outsider might. If you were the outsider watching what you're doing right now, would you feel like that was appropriate and OK? And if, if so, then cool. That's great. But if not, then maybe you ought to not do it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's right. And you
6: Another can, one that yeah. I would suggest to some people is to limit their postings. If you find that you're posting to social media more than twice a day, that's probably more than you need to. Yeah. You probably need to curate your postings a little more. <laughs> Cut it to maybe once a day, and that way you'll probably have better postings, and you won't be so absorbed in your postings.
2: Well, and your they audience will approve it and appreciate it more.
6: Yeah, really. People don't need to see <laughs> your updates, you know, by the hour.
2: <laughs> right. That's when I start disconnecting and saying, okay, I can't see any more of those. Those are exhausting. Yeah.
6: Me. Yeah. Yeah, I think for most of us, a couple times a week is probably enough, right? And yeah. Our, how exciting really is our life.
1: <laughs> right. Well, now, uh, yeah.
6: For, for others, and, and certainly for me, I will take vacations from my device or from my social media account. I'll take I'll take a month off. That's and, smart. And I think, I think it's helpful. It just helps me get away and recenter, get back to where I want to be.
2: Yeah, and really, boy, what would it be like to actually have something so interesting you could hardly wait to tell all of your friends <laughs> that, that yeah. and then put that out there? How 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 fun would that be if we really had these exciting things
6: coming out? Right. Also, ask yourself whether your social media account has become too narrow a channel. So for example, I have friends whose Facebook accounts are really only political. Yeah. Or 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 single issue only grandchildren, right, and th- that 's okay if the, if your brand is it 's going to be only politics or only grandchildren or only this or only that, but understand that that I hope that doesn 't reflect your life <laughs> right
2: yeah, yeah, hope there 's more to you than just that. Well, yeah. I yeah, Dave, I think this is great stuff and I think I think just the mere fact that you're bringing it up and 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 as a training company willing to go actually do the research to make this happen I think is super super powerful. Keep up the great work. David Maxfield, you can go to his website davidmaxfield.com to get more information about his work and his Um, his writings as well as his research Uh, powerful stuff for all of us to really take note of up next we're going to be doing a little mind bender with McKenna Bows, Bows in the House little uh, mind blowing moment for you up next, this is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world Welcome to
1: her house,
2: she is McKenna Bouse she is here to break down things you no, no. McKenna Baus is her name. Baus in the house is what we call her. And uh, she likes to she likes to give us little mind benders, little research facts, data points that, you know, make you think, make you say, hmm.
9: I do indeed.
2: McKenna thinks. What's today's uh, mind bender?
9: We're going to be talking about whether or not life is all downhill after 35. Oh, boy. Yeah, it's sort of depressing. Isn't it actually, you're in
2: trouble, Matt. It actually feels like it's uphill.
9: See, that's what I'm hoping. But that's not what this study. These studies yeah. are sort of coming Talk out to, me. to prove. So 35 is got a lot of baggage associated with it, including. That age, yeah. Yeah. So it includes that's when you're usually considered to no longer be young. Yeah. Um, that's when men reach peak loneliness. Women he- hit Peak boring. Um, it's a, when a lot of family pressure and financial responsibilities tend to sort of come together and cause a lot of extra yeah, stress. Yeah. Um, job security tends to go down. Uh, people aged 35 to 49 are twice as likely to be made redundant as those who are aged 25 right. to
2: 34. I believe that.
9: Um, and generally, there's, you know, just less contentment at work um, because, you know, you're no longer. Fighting uh, that,
2: for your place.
9: That sense of aspiration. Oh, I yeah. can do it. And yeah,
2: you're you're kind of a realist, like, uh eh.
9: Yeah, and there's sort of higher expectations of you, too, because yeah. you've been in the workforce longer. And so then your hip stress. goes out.
2: Then once the hip goes out, they just mm. want to put a bullet in you. Yeah,
9: sounds about right.
2: Uh, here's what I found, though, too. You also have money.
9: You see, that's one thing the that I is, think they don't point <laughs> out here, which yeah. I would agree with.
2: And you, you own a house, and you have equity. Yep. Yeah. And you've traveled a lot and you've got other goals. I mean, but it's interesting. I don't consider it. Maybe it's like about. I don't know. I don't consider it boring.
9: Yeah, I think maybe it's it's just a shift. My personal take, and this is, I think, one of the issues I have with this study, um, is the fact that I think it's it's more it's just calm. Because I think you're, yeah. you know, your 20s are when you're making a lot of these big life-changing decisions, yep. it's when you hit a lot of sort of milestones that you've been working up towards. Right. And I think once you hit 35, those milestones tend to spread out a little more. It's yeah. not quite like drinking from a fire hose all the time. Right. And so maybe that would make it feel more boring. Yeah. Well,
2: and, and, and boring, I mean, I guess I could see boring, but uh, you also have your kids going through their process. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't go back to be a 25-year-old for anything. I wouldn't go back to be a 35-year-old for anything.
9: See, that sounds healthy. <laughs>
2: because, I mean, honestly, I'm – but you, ha- you probably have to fight for it, right? you got to work for this.
9: Definitely. And, you know, there is, I think, maybe, you know, it's – it may plateau for a bit, but I definitely think yeah. things can go uphill uh, you know, and can get better later. Um, you know, there is research that says mental health – Will improve, yeah. After you know a certain point past thirty-five, that
2: seems to be. There's always in. It seems like in social science, there's like a a curve, like a like a U-shaped curve, where marriage is always more exciting at the beginning. Then you kind of hit a lull, probably mm-hmm. around thirty-five, and then it seems to get exciting again. And um, so maybe it follows a similar like U-shaped trend. But I, yeah, I I love it. I actually I think I I'm wiser. I'm not making the mistakes. I know who I am. I don't care as much what others think.
9: That all sounds wonderful.
2: It's so nice, <laughs> and I don't I don't. Yeah, but you also have resources to finally do what you want to do. And as as every child moves on, you have even more resources. And then the next one goes. That is a definite And then plus. even more resources. It's a, it's a good thing. So really – Yeah, I don't – don't believe it.
9: Push through 35, yeah. get to the empty nester stage, and you'll yeah. be
2: great. And that you'll be great. Oh, McKenna, you just made me like my life more. That's the goal. Thank you. Now, 50 sounds horrible.
9: Can't be – I'm a little too far out from That's that one. That's two years but... for
2: me, so it's kind of scary. Then the hips really are gone. Well, McKenna Bows, thanks. Appreciate your insight. Uh, now, Jeffrey is going to be taking over the show. What we do on Fridays. (laughs) Well, that's scary. Well, it was all part of my nefarious plan. I'm not going to leave now. (laughs) Screen cleaning is the name of the show. um, And we like to take our last hour of the Matt Townsend show, hand it to Jeff. And what Jeff is going to do is he will drive the bus. We have Jeff drive the Matt Townsend show bus through and launch us into the weekend. He'll then go park the bus. I think you wash it. Isn't that when you watch the show? Yes, you clean up the show. Mm-hmm. You vacuum. Those bugs are really tough to get <laughs> off. They the really bugs are. left from the Matt Towns and yeah, show is <laughs> from the long journey of the week. So, what's coming up on your show? So,
3: we're going to be talking forgiveness in movies. Oh, and then we're also going to be talking about uh, my guest and I will be talking about TV shows that we've broken up with. Oh, that you're just sometimes done with. you just need to sever the relationship. Yeah. Get out while you can. Yeah. And sometimes you've invested way too many years and it's a painful breakup.
1: Yeah.
2: And it's like, it's not you. It's your writers. Yeah. And I'm done with you. Or your lack of budget or your lack of morals. Yes. So. Okay. That's a great show. Yes. And, um, It's, folks, it's only 30 seconds away. So as I say goodbye, just get ready. The weekend is here for you. It's been a good week. We've learned a lot this week when you think about it. And also, let's remember life is good overall. Life is good. Uh, There's a lot of tragedies going on. So keep the people that are suffering from hurricanes and earthquakes, keep them in your mind as well, uh, because it's not over just because we don't hear about it anymore. That's the show, my friends. Up next, Screen Cleaning with Jeffrey Liam Simpson, We'll talk again Monday.
6: Just
3: when you thought it was safe to get back in your car, we play a movie clip from the new edge-of-your-seat thriller that'll make you think twice before speeding. Jeff and his mystery guests share a good cry and maybe a pint of Ben & Jerry's as they swap breakup stories. And then we look for the good in the bad and the ugly. It's time for Screen Cleaning on the Matt Townsend Show. Here's your host, Jeff Simpson. Jeff Simpson. Thank you. Wow, what a great introduction there. Hello and welcome to Screen Cleaning. And uh, it's a show within a show, really, because every Friday at 9 o'clock on the Matt Townsend Show, we'll be bringing you all the entertainment news and topics you won't want to miss. But more than just that, we'll be bringing you exclusive trailers, serious interviews regarding every facet of the entertainment business. Plus, do you struggle to find quality entertainment for your whole family? Not just passable entertainment, uh, but quality entertainment. Well, we're going to help you find it. We're going to shine a big old spotlight on the best entertainment around. And uh, also, do you enjoy listening to Matt Townsend, but like me, you wish he would just lighten up a little and not be afraid to have some fun? Well, Mary Poppins put it best, In every show that must be done, there is an element of fun. And that's what screen cleaning is all about. So let's kick things off by giving you a recap of the latest and very best in entertainment news. In the best sequel news, the incomparable Jeff Goldblum will reprise his role of Dr. Ian Malcolm in next summer's sure-to-be blockbuster film, Jurassic World 2 which opens June 7th, 2018. And the only thing better than Goldblum in a Jurassic Park sequel? How about Goldblum singing about Jurassic Park? In Jurassic Park, scary in the dark, I'm so scared that I'll be eaten. Oh, he's just the best. The best in late night news, Jimmy Kimmel's heartfelt story of his son's heart surgery reminded us all that despite the clear disconnect between Hollywood and the rest of America, we are all basically the same when it comes to the love of family. Our thoughts and prayers go out to Kimmel's family and really any other family that has a baby or a loved one in the hospital and uh, struggles with, with paying for their medical bills. And finally, the best in the movie teaser news, the new film Dirty Hairdryer* isn't a complete work of fiction. In fact, the story was ripped straight from the headlines. Get this, residents of a neighborhood in Scotland posed as police officers and armed themselves with hair dryers and reflective vests to combat speeding drivers who have placed residents in danger by exceeding speeds of 60 miles per hour along a stretch of road leading out of the area. Well, we've got a clip from Dirty Hair Dryer, the new film which stars the virile Clint Eastwood. All you speeders out there need to ask yourself one question. Do I feel lucky?
2: Well, do you punks?
3: I know what you're thinking. Did he use a 110 volt hair dryer or a 220 volt hair dryer? Well, to tell you the truth in all this excitement, I kind of lost track myself. Now, that was an exclusive clip that you won't hear anywhere else. And as I said, only the best here on Screen Cleaning. Wow. What a suspenseful-sounding movie. And by the way, I am joined here by uh, Cole Wessinger. Did I pronounce your name right? Close enough. Cole Wessinger. Okay. Cole is going to be running uh, the board on Screen Cleaning on the Matt Townsend Show. And he also says that he is a uh, basically a walking encyclopedia of movies. Is that right, Cole?
2: I didn't use it in such long <laughs>
3: words, but yeah, sure. Let's All right. Well, at some point, you and I probably ought to have some kind of a a movie trivia standoff or contest. Bring it on, Jeff. Hmm. Sounds like a good challenge. You know, I'm really excited about that movie, Dirty Hairdryer. By the way, because. I you, know, you always hear about Clint Eastwood saying, oh, this is absolutely the last movie that I'm going to act in. And then he seems to do one more.
2: Always finds another and always finds something to do behind the camera or. Right. Otherwise.
3: Well, with material like dirty hairdryer, how could you pass that up? Right. Exactly.
10: You take one look at the script and you can't say no.
3: <laughs> We're going to take a break and have some more fun when we return. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. It's Friday, which means we're talking movies. And now it's time for a little game. You know, I don't think it's any secret that I love to talk about pop culture and more specifically about movies. Well, I recently sat down with two very pop culture savvy gentlemen, perhaps even more pop culture savvy than yours truly, Joel Hilton and Kent Dunn, the hosts of one of my favorite podcasts, Bacon Sale. They were recording their monumental 100th episode. Congratulations, guys. And I was given the chance to face off against two other aficionados in an epic trivia battle. I was feeling pretty confident going into this game, but things got off to kind of a rocky start.
10: This heavy metal band had a hit with a cover of the 1964 Simon and Garfunkel hit song, The Sound of Silence. Is it A, Godsmack, B, Slipknot, C, Corn? or D, Disturbed? So right now I'm kind of feeling the sound of silence because...
1: <laughs> what did you put? I, I, put, All right, I put, you put A,
10: and I don't even remember who you said for A. <laughs> a was Godsmack. <laughs> All right, next question. Make it harder. The Rolling Stones made rock and roll history oh, with a free concert in which country in March of 2016? A, Ukraine, B, Iran, C, Cuba, or D, Syria? All sorry right, let's start sure. with you, Jeff. Iran. Iran I ran from that answer because it's wrong. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, next question. Rihanna hit number oh, one. It's Rihanna, Rihanna, actually, please. Rihanna. Riri is what I call it. Rai. Rai Rai hit number one on the Billboard 200 in March of 2016 with what album? A. Unapologetic, B. Loud, C. Talk That Talk, or D. Anti? All right, Jeff? I put B. (laughs) There's a D in B.
3: There kind of is. There's
8: kind of. Uh, Jeff, how many did you get right that round?
3: I'm sorry, what was that? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, things didn't get much better when we reached the lightning round.
8: Jeff, are you ready? On your mark, get set,
10: back it set. Bruce Willis played a convict turned time traveler in what 1995 movie? Fifth Element. Twelve Monkeys. The Bachelor has run for how many seasons? Fifteen. Twenty-one. <laughs> Which actor's real name is Thomas C. Mathaffer? Pass. A Tom Cruise. An essential ingredient what? in several notable cocktails. What flavor is the liqueur Kahula? Uh, pineapple. Coffee. The S in Superman's insignia stands for more than just Superman. It also stands for what? I have no It's idea. hope. hope is oh, answer. that's right.
3: So Yeah, so apparently I'm not very good in lightning rounds. Maybe if I had a little more time to think about those, I could have gotten some of those right. And, uh, you know, at the halfway point, I'm pretty sure I heard crickets when they announced my score.
10: Current standings, uh, Sam is at 110 points. Woo! Uh, Terry's at 40 points. <laughs> 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 and Jeff is at 30 points. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I thought I heard crickets. Things,
3: however, made a turn for the better. When I had my choice of topic, I could choose either questions about Kate Beckinsale, Kevin Bacon, or the Bacon Sale podcast. I had a miraculous
8: comeback.
10: What is Kevin Bacon's wife's name? That would be Kira Sedwick. That is correct.
8: 20 points. There you go. Okay. Beckinsale, bacon, bacon, or Bacon Sale?
10: Give me some Bacon. That Everyone crazy. loves the bacon. <laughs> it was just the way
8: you said it, I think. Give Kevin Bacon three. has starred in at least how many films? A, 30. B, 40. C, 50. D, 4,346.
3: <laughs> I'm going to say C. 50 That's, movies. Why not? That's what I'm saying. That is correct. Woo!
10: No! All right. Uh, back to you, Jeff.
3: Let's go with some Kate.
10: How many Underworld movies have there been in total? Mm. To date. Five
3: final answer. That is correct. Sure. Okay. Oh, oh. There we go. <laughs> and after losing in a sudden death round, I teamed up with the other two contestants to go head to head with the bacon sale hosts in a neck in neck, never ending round.
10: Which of these films featuring Leonardo DiCaprio was the first to be released? Quick and the Dead. <laughs> Quick and the Dead is correct. Dead. Well done,
7: Jeff. 14, On the I'll Simpsons TV
10: think. show. What part of Jebediah's Springfield statue does Bart remove in season one? Head. 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 head everybody got that one. <laughs> Points all around. Next question. It's which of the following classic video games was the first to be released?
7: Space Invaders. Space
10: Invaders. Yeah! 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 Space Invaders. All right. Next question. Who won the Grammy for Record of the Year at the 59th Annual Grammy Awards in February of 2017? Adele. Adele is the correct answer. What did you pick nice for, Jeff. Playing the role of Laura Petrie on The Dick Van Dyke Show, which American actress and icon died on January 25th, 2017? Mary Tyler Moore. Alright, which of the following films does not feature Marlon Brando? Marlon Brando is not in the film The African Queen. Which popular boxing movie does the following quote come from? I just want to say hi to my girlfriend the fighter the fighter is incorrect
1: we Never won! Heard We yes. won! we yes. won! Yes. that man they gave us win right. for more money
3: they
10: really did they gave you a
3: real- oh that was so frustrating that seemed like one of those questions that was so obvious that it couldn't possibly be rocky and i remember him saying yo adrian uh but apparently he does also say i just want to say hi to my girlfriend Anyway, so it appears I need to brush up on my pop culture maybe a little bit. Either that, or I just need to learn to be content with not knowing everything about uh, superheroes and vampires. Because there were some questions about those, too, that I didn't know. Obviously, I didn't get the Superman one right. That's okay. I think I can live my life knowing uh, or not knowing what shows are on the CW and MTV. In fact, I might even feel better about myself not knowing those things. But not knowing that uh, the line, I just want to say hi to my girlfriend, was in the movie Rocky. I, don't, I, I can't live with myself over that one. Uh, so in that sudden death round, we went to like 14 or 15 questions because it was best the first one to get to 10. And we just kept getting them all right. And I had to go and blow it with that Rocky one. All right, well, up next, we'll be speaking with our good friend Rod Gustafson from Parent Previews. Stick with us. This is Screen Cleaning on the Matt Townsend Show. We will be right back. what that sound means that music means we're going to be speaking with rod gustafson from parentpreviews.com, who he, rod is a film critic specializing in reviewing movies and media from a parent's perspective i was hoping that rod and i could take a few minutes here now and talk about movies about forgiveness so he's prepared three uh, to choose from and i've prepared three to choose from and rod why don't we just do them one at a
7: time you go with your third and i'll go with my third and and go down to one I dug deep on this one, Jeff. I, I tried to dig up some so that might be a little more obscure. So here's my first one I'm going to throw on the table. The Emperor's New Groove, the most oh, overlooked Disney animation.
3: I love that movie. You know, to me, that movie is very much like Jungle Book. There are very there're only a couple of movies, Disney movies that are just all about fun, and the plot kind of comes second. Although Emperor's New Groove seems to have a little bit more of a plot than The Jungle Book, but I love that movie.
7: <laughs> well, what I really enjoy about The Emperor's New Groove, not only do I find it just crazy funny, Oh, there, this is one of the most quoted movies of in the Gustafson home. But I also really appreciate the story of forgiveness in this film. And because it's a G-rated movie, it's very accessible for all ages. As we watch Emperor Cusco, who is voiced by David Spade, and this uh, peasant whose name is Pacha, voiced by John Goodman. And as one offends the other, and then the other offends back, and the two of them get stuck on this little jungle road trip. (laughs) It just really is, it's... I just love it. And I think it, even though it's very simple, at the same time, it's, it, it's funny. And the more you think about it, it really has got some great lessons about forgiveness and understanding another person's perspective. So I really enjoy it.
3: Okay, so my number three is actually a TV show. I cheated a little bit, but oh. uh, it's one that, that got canceled a little sooner than people hoped it would. And it's a show called My Name is Earl. Now, I'm not not putting this show out there as the cleanest show ever, and I'm not necessarily saying go watch it right now. But there are some themes here that are very admirable, I think. And I think this is a concept that could have carried this show on for years because you have this guy who's not a very nice person, who does mean and illegal things involving other people, and he doesn't have a good relationship with his wife, and it turns out his wife – cheats on him. So this is going really well so far, by the way. and uh, But he gets in a car accident, <laughs> inherits some money because he wins a lottery ticket, and he decides that uh, the accident was karma's way of, of showing him that he needs to improve his life. Mm-hmm. So he makes a list of all of the bad things that he's done throughout his life. And every episode, he goes through that list and crosses off one of those things. And at times, it's a really a heartwarming show. But like I said, you know, it is crude at times, but uh,
7: the concept and the themes are very admirable, I think. So that's my number three. Okay. So I'm going to throw one at you that people are going to say, what movie is that? This is a movie called smoke signals. And this is a movie that was filmed on an Idaho native American reservation. And and this is a film starting Native Americans, which are probably the most underrepresented um, ethnicity in in Hollywood movies. I really enjoy this film. This is a very touching film about a young man who needs to try and set things straight um, with his father. And the two of them have been estranged for a long time. This movie is is very humorous. It's got some great um, comedy to it that isn't even, it, this is not an overt comedy. This is the type of thing that um, if you have spent time uh, on or near a reservation that you just understand what kind of life is there and that type of thing. And so it really portrays uh, Native American life from a very interesting perspective and it is a very engaging and fun and at the same time profoundly uh, touching film as you come to the conclusion of this movie. So this film uh, is rated PG13. I I think it released in, I've got 1998, and, uh, and really content concerns, very minimal content concerns in it. This is one of those films where I, I scratched my head and wondered why it got a PG-13, and I don't feel that way very often. Usually I'm more critical because the rating wasn't high enough. Uh, this one I think could have easily been a PG, but Smoke Signals, one that you'll you should be able to find it on iTunes and places like that.
3: My number two, I put, It's. I can't remember if it was PG or G. I'm sure you've seen it. It's a movie directed by David Lynch called The Straight Story.
7: Oh, you yes.
3: stole my number oh, one. Oh, darn it. <laughs> Uh, so directed by David Lynch, it's about a man who I can't remember how old he is. He's got to be in his seventies or eighties. Yeah, and I think he, he's like eighty years old or yeah, something. Yes, he finds out about uh, his brother is is dying of of cancer or some other illness, and he has not spoken with his brother in decades. And so he decides he wants to go visit his brother and have a reconciliation, and. The only vehicle that he has to travel to get there is a lawnmower. And this is actually based on a true story. Yes. And so and it's so nice throughout the movie to see how he touches and influences the lives of the people that he comes in contact with. I know that he he has a run in with a a girl that has run away or is, you know, kind of a delinquent. And I think he's able to have a positive influence on her and uh, just a really very simple somewhat
7: strange movie about forgiveness that you really ought to check out. This is an absolutely lovely movie, and it's rated G. And Alvin Strait was played by Richard Farnsworth, who was in the advanced stages of prostate cancer when he made this film. He died the next year. Um, And the stiffness in his legs and everything else are real. Like, he was in absolute agony making this movie. It's an incredible film. Well, I'm I'm sorry Uh, I stole your number one. Oh, no, that's okay. I, I'm going to give you a standby, number one, and I'm going to break a little rule here that we don't do often. This is probably the most rare movie apparent previews. We gave this movie an A grade, and it's rated R. And this is another film that I really disagreed with the R rating. It's called The Railway Man. And this is a very serious film starring Colin Firth. Now, this is not a film for children. I would say 16 and over on this one, but it probably has one of the most profound scenes of forgiveness I've ever seen in a movie. Uh, and this is a story about a man. Colin Firth plays a man who was a prisoner in a Japanese POW camp. And uh, his whole life he has just hated, hated the man that was running this camp. And so finally his his wife, many years later, long after the war has ended, she encourages him that uh, that he needs to go back and make amends and he goes back and meets this man. I think it's one of the most touching scenes of forgiveness I've ever seen put to film. So the railway man now, I just need to explain the R rating is for scenes of torture in this film. There's no, there's very little sexual content, some hugging and kissing between this married couple, hardly any profanity. It really is. There's a scene of waterboarding in this film, which sent it into the R rating. Uh,
3: just really quickly, one that I put uh, down was a movie called In Her Shoes. Which uh, that
7: was also on my list. Me. Oh very my goodness! Good.
3: No. So this one's PG-13. It stars Tony Collette and Cameron Diaz, who are sisters. Yes. Tony Collette is ambitious, uh, you know, very focused, driven woman. Cameron Diaz is more of a party girl who is not well educated at all. In fact, there's a, a subplot in the movie involving her learning to read. Um, but she does something to upset her sister in a very, uh, very hurtful way, I felt, and very impactful mm-hmm. way, too, which yes. pretty much destroys their relationship or could have. And Tony Collette meets a man who is able to help her kind of. Forgive her sister for this terrible thing that she did. And Cameron Diaz meets a much, much older man in a nursing home, because I, I believe she gets hired on at this nursing home, mm-hmm. who teaches her to read and teaches her about life and really befriends her. And so they, they're able to make these changes, come together and and have this forgiveness. It is PG-13. I know that there was some promiscuity in it, um, but the, the themes and messages in this movie are really strong and really uh, impactful, I felt. We're going to take a quick break. When we return, my next guest and I are going to share breakup stories, but maybe not the kind that you think. When we return, this is Screen Cleaning on The Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Screen Cleaning on The Matt Townsend Show. I'm Jeff Simpson. You know, if you've ever been in a relationship, then chances are you've also gone through a breakup. You reach a point when, for one reason or another, you decide it'd be best to part ways. Well, the same can be said of the television shows we watch. In which shows have you invested countless hours before making the often difficult decision to call it quits? Well, here to join the discussion is Joel Hilton, an improv comic and co-host of the hilarious pop culture podcast, Bacon Sale. Joel, welcome to Screen Cleaning.
8: Thank you, Jeff. Thanks for having me.
3: Oh, this is kind of a sensitive subject for me. I don't know
8: if it is for you. It brought up a lot of emotions for me, to be honest, as I was going through these and remembering the good times that I had with these shows, and then just how it ended so badly. Yeah, yeah.
3: Well, here's what I want you to do. I want you to picture that we're sharing a, uh, a bucket of Ben and Jerry's ice cream and, you know, at the appropriate moment, we can have a good cry together. So we, I'd like that. let's share our five TV shows
8: that we've broken up with over the years. Okay. And, and I would like to mention, please don't judge me for these choices, because in the end, I did break up with them. But uh, <laughs> my number five was actually The Vampire Diaries. This was one of those shows that I went, oh, you know, I like I like the, you know, kind of the scary elements. I like vampires and werewolves and stuff like that. I'll give it a shot. So I watched the first two episodes, I think it was, and I, I just realized it was not the show for me. Like I, I realized very early on this relationship was not going to work. I was not getting the, what I needed out of the show. And so I decided it was better to make a clean break early than to let it go on a little longer because who knows? I, you know, I might have ended up feeling obligated to watch more.
3: And it is a two-sided relationship, or it should be, and you just weren't getting what you needed. So I'm going to tell you my number five, but I am going to say I took a look at this list after I'd written it, and I noticed that the reasons that I stopped watching these shows are very similar to the reasons that people give for breaking up with someone in real life. So it's kind of interesting. Yeah. Number five, for me, is a show that's still on right now. It's called Designated Survivor. It's basically it's about this guy who is you know, way low on the totem pole to be the next president of the United States. I think he's the HUD secretary. And everybody that is in front of him for the presidency is just gets blown up. And so he is called to be the next president, totally unprepared. And it's about him adjusting and trying to figure out how this all went wrong. But the reason I had to give up on it is because, uh, kind of similar to your number five, I just, I got bored with it. And I felt like... There was nothing in it for me. There was nothing. So, there was no excitement in the relationship. May I ask, were you a fan of Twenty Four? Well, uh, ask me that again when we get to number four.
1: <laughs>
8: oh well. Okay. It's because sweet. I was going to, I was oh. going to say what you're saying is that you feel that uh, Kiefer Sutherland changed since the last time you were together. He did.
3: He's not yeah. the same, Keefe. Anyway, what's
8: no. what's your number four? Uh, my number four is a show called Mad Men. Uh, on AMC. And it was a, uh, well, it was a hurtful relationship, to be honest. I started watching it and it was this wonderful, you know, character study. And, you know, I really enjoyed kind of seeing how these characters were going to develop. But I soon realized after every single episode that I hated the world. I hated people. I hated everyone in the show. Like I just felt empty inside. And I realized I was in a hurtful relationship. And so I decided to get out of it. And I gave up, I think, after like two or no, probably three seasons, I gave up on that one, but I went pretty far on there.
3: Well, I'm glad you're able to get out when you did because my number four, I stuck with it for almost the entirety of this show, which is 24. And uh, I love Kiefer Sutherland, but uh, he took eight good years for me that I'm never going to get back. And, you know, I wish I could at least have three of those years back. The first five years were pretty good. We were in a good relationship. Um, Mm -hmm. The problem with this for me was it was exactly the same every single year. You know, there's going to be a mole. There's going to be, you know, some big twist. It's always the same twist, too. So for me— there was no variety. There was no spice. There was nothing new for Kiefer to offer me. So that's why I mm. broke it off with 24.
8: It's understandable. I mean, sometimes you get in a relationship and you give them the best years of your life and it just doesn't work out.
1: <laughs> but, so,
8: what's your number three? Uh, my number three is actually Chuck. On, uh, it was on NBC, I believe, and it was about a guy who got a computer uploaded to a, his head and was able to be a spy. It's a lot of fun. And I did enjoy it. But this was one of those relationships where we kind of just drifted apart. Like I remember I remember watching a, a, a season finale and it might have been a series finale. They weren't sure. But then the show came back. But by then I'd, I'd kind of moved on. We'd gone different ways. And I just – I never went back to it. You know, maybe one day I'll, I'll go back and see it again. But for now I'm just kind of happy where I'm at TV-wise. So you checked check. I did. I did right in the bin.
3: So this next one might upset some people, and this is another one where I stayed in the relationship way too long, and it's The Office, the American version of The Office. Oh. So, and before I I give my reasons, I do want to preface this by saying that Michael Scott is one of the greatest written TV characters of all time. And yes. on the on the rest of the show, there are some great characters too, like Dwight Schrute and Jim Halbert mm-hmm. and Pam uh, Beasley. Yep. But I reached a point where the show just became way too mean-spirited for me. I've been in relationships before where the person was just way too mean, and I, I didn't want to stick around. And it was kind of similar with this. So uh, there was a point when... Um, Parks and Recreation came on directly after The Office, and we got to the point where we were laughing more at Parks and Rec than we were at The Office, and I think it was just because The Office became too mean-spirited. So uh, I stopped watching The Office and started watching uh, Parks and Rec.
8: Oh, yeah, and that was one where I think the show just got progressively, well, worse And after, after Michael Scott left. I will say, I thought the finale nailed it, and it almost made it worth it those last two seasons. It was good to see some of those characters come back, yeah. So what's your number two? My number two, uh, you're actually getting an exclusive uh, because Whoa. I haven't broke up with them yet, but I'm I'm probably going to in the next, by the end of this season.
3: Can I, can I tweet it, the show and let it know that you're calling to quits? I'll let you do that. <laughs> I'll let you do that.
8: Well, and, and it's also two shows. It's actually that it's actually arrow and the flash on cw.
3: You're giving up on them.
8: Well, arrow is one of, arrow I'm I'm definitely giving up on. Flash I may keep around, but the problem is they they both have the same problem. They're turning into kind of just recycling the same old story material and it's becoming very cw, which means that it's just getting very much into love triangles and, you know, mis like misrepresentation and, you know, lying and things like that and people getting mad cuz other people are lying and I'm like just fight bad guys. And so uh I've talked to my wife and uh, we've decided that probably after the season, definitely after the season we're giving up on Arrow and we might even be giving up on Flash. Well, good luck. I know it uh causes a lot of
3: stress when you're trying to decide how to break up with someone or a TV show. Mm-hmm. So I hope it goes well. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I thankfully I've never been in a physically abusive relationship, but I know a lot of people are, and it's really, really sad when it happens. But uh My number two, I gave up on because I just thought there was way too much senseless violence. And so I didn't feel like it was worth—I felt like it was doing damage to my soul, which is a little show on FX called Justified. This is a Kentucky sheriff who has this rivalry between this this guy that he grew up with. And for the first couple of seasons, it was pretty entertaining, but then it just—yeah, like, they were just— shooting people left and right for no particular reason it was just senseless violence and so i i had to get out of it so i but i was watching it i think i watched it for a full four seasons but uh yeah just couldn't do it anymore
8: you you might be giving me a heads up because we've actually started watching that one see like i said season one and two
3: and maybe half of three are pretty good Mm -hmm. and then after that you don't need to watch it anymore
8: Oh, So okay. Good to know.
3: Get your get your kicks and thrills, and then get out. <laughs>
1: All
8: right, I can do that. And All right. Then, uh, what so is your be ready number, for my one? number one? Yeah. And I'm gonna let you know right now this this is a bad breakup. Uh, it's actually Gotham. Oh. <gasps> uh, you didn't Gotham. Yes, and 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 when I say breakup, I mean I watched the entire first season, just hoping, hoping that it would get better, and the show got. Just worse and worse and more ridiculous and terrible and they brought in characters I didn't care about and kept characters alive that didn't need to be kept alive. And so I actually went on a very public Twitter rant and officially broke up with Gotham in like eight different tweets talking about what it had done wrong to me and finally said I'm never coming back and goodbye.
3: Well, I'm happy that you got out of that relationship, but I've got to say I was broken up with once through an email. So to be broken up with over social media is pretty rough <laughs> for the person. You know, that's... it's 2017. <laughs> it's, how, it's how the kids do it. Yeah. Wow. That's kind of controversial, especially on your show. I know a lot of your listeners would, uh, are watching
8: that show. It's true. And I, I, as much as I like Batman, this is not the world of Batman. And I felt it was an insult to the world of Batman, actually, which is why I finally decided I can't watch this anymore.
3: Well, my number one. So I don't know if you watched Downton Abbey and we watched all seasons of it. And uh, that was a relationship that kind of just died of natural causes because, you know, the show ended. And so naturally, we did what a lot of other people were doing. We were trying to find a show that was similar to Downton Abbey, you know, that could, Mm -hmm. you know, that was basically a high class soap opera. So we stumbled upon one that was on PBS or Masterpiece Theater. It was Pole Dark. Have you heard of this show? Pole Dark? Pole Dark. So it stars uh, one of the guys from The Hobbit, and it's actually a remake of a show that was done back in the 70s or 80s, That uh, and th- that show was based on a series of books. Anyway, it's this guy that, uh, oh, you're supposed to be rooting for him, but he just keeps making all these bad choices. He's kind of an anti-hero, and he meets this sweet woman that really brings out the best in him. But he can't let go of this love that he has for his cousin that he was supposed to marry a long time ago, and it didn't work out. And during season two, he commits adultery. Oh, no. And uh, at that point, I remember standing up, and I threw my hands up, and I said, I'm done. Forget it. I'm not <laughs> watching the show anymore. I can't, I can't get behind characters or root for characters when they've done that. Yes. it's uh, it a just, line. It's really difficult to have any sympathy for people that do that. Um, And I don't mean to go off on a rant on this, but, uh, yeah, that was the moment. It was during season two when I decided I'm not watching this anymore, and I don't believe my wife has either.
8: So you were done.
3: I was done. So, again, all five of my shows, they cover all of the reasons why people break up in in real life. You know, there's – I I got bored. There was nothing new to offer me. Uh, They were Mm. mean, violent – and uh unfaithful
8: yeah it's it's the same like you said tv is a relationship it's a two-way street and if it doesn't if one party's not fulfilling the other the other will move on yeah well this
3: was kind of a downer but i'm, I'm glad we're able to get this out and uh get some ben and
8: jerry's and well and you, and you say downer i say healing I, I think there was some healing done today that's so profound
3: well, during the break, let's get a good cry. Let's do that. Let's take a break. And when we come back, I want to I wanna get things on more of a positive note. When we come back, we're going to be playing a little game that uh, will help us look for the good in the bad. Mm, how's that for a tease? We'll return. This is Screen Cleaning on the Matt Townsend Show with Jeff Simpson. We'll be right back. Each year, movie studios produce hundreds of films, and a large number of these films are met with scathing reviews and pathetic ticket sales. And a select few of these quote unquote bad films go on to be considered some of the worst movies ever made. Well, since our slogan here at BYU Radio is Talk About Good, we thought we'd play a little game that helps us focus on the positive aspects of these bad movies. And uh, we want to welcome back to the program the co-host of the podcast, Bacon Sale, and our good friend and improv comic, Joel Hilton. Welcome back to Screen Cleaning. Thanks,
8: Jeff. I appreciate it. I'm happy to be on a positive show.
3: (laughs) Yes. And uh, you're going to have to be positive for this next segment because uh, here's how it's going to work. We're going to play a little game that I like to call Silver Lining Cinema. Uh, uh yes and here's how it's going to work i have a spinning wheel that contains the names of several quote-unquote bad movies and i'm going to spin the wheel and we'll have to watch whichever film we land on and give it a positive review So let me give you today's category of the uh, Silver Lining Cinema game. Today's category is films featuring Academy Award winners.
8: So how, Hmm. how bad could they be, right? It can't be that bad,
3: right? Okay, so Joel, are you ready to play Silver Lining Cinema?
8: I am ready, Jeff.
3: Okay, so here is the spin. And let's see what it lands on. This is going to be for you, by the way. Very fitting that this is a squeaky wheel because these are movies that nobody watches. Um, The film that you have to watch is Tentacles. Lovely. (laughs) I bet you're so excited. All right. Let me give it one more spin. And this is the film that I'm going to watch. And come on. Don't be son of the mask. Not son of the mask. And it looks like I'll be watching Daddy Day Camp. Okay, so let's take a quick break. We'll watch those movies. And when we come back, we will give a positive review of them. And we're back. So we're going to start with you. Give us your positive review of Tentacles.
8: So Tentacles, 1977, which was two years after Jaws, is about a mutated giant octopus that wreaks havoc on a California seaside community. And, um, well, uh, this movie lets (laughs) everyone have a line. It doesn't matter if they're a good actor. It doesn't matter if they can speak English. They let everybody talk, and it doesn't matter. At the same time, they don't really rely on talking. I mean, they let long moments of silence just happen. And we're talking five, ten, fifteen-minute stretches with no dialogue whatsoever. Um, They also trust their viewers to know what's going on. They don't necessarily show you what's happening. You have to guess about a lot of it. And this movie doesn't bog you down with things like memorable characters or characters that you like. So when one of them dies, it doesn't hurt as much. And finally, I think maybe the most uh, wonderful thing about this is the uh, five-note harpsichord theme that they have for the octopus is much more jarring than the two-note tuba number from Jaws.
3: Pins and needles, Joel.
8: Yes, this movie has a lot to offer. Uh, they also don't show the octopus, just like Jaws didn't show the shark. It's, it's a good thing because it builds, quote unquote, suspense.
3: Wow. You know, it's so easy to point out the bad in things that, you know, it, it takes so much more patience. And, uh, you know, it says a lot about you that you can find the positive in a movie like Tentacles. So thank you.
8: I, you're welcome. I, I do what I can to bring light to the world.
3: So I want to tell you about a little film called Daddy Day Camp. Now, first off, I never saw Daddy Daycare, but I saw the previews. And, you know, Eddie Murphy, he has his moments, and a lot of people think he's so great and all that. But when I saw the preview, I thought, you know, the one thing that this film is missing is an Academy Award winner. Mm. So it's about this guy that loses his job, and so he and his friend are forced to open up a Daddy Daycare. Well, in the sequel, they signed up Cuba Gooding Jr. to star in the sequel Daddy mm. Day Camp. Eddie Murphy doesn't have an Oscar. Cuba Gooding Jr. One Oscar. Okay. Jerry Maguire. Yes. So he and his friend decide to save a camp that they went to as kids that is going under, and they want their kids to go and have a positive experience. So what I love about this movie is that there are so many important life lessons to be learned. There's a scene where the kids in the car, some kids in a car are singing 99 bottles of non-alcoholic beer on the wall. So right off the bat, you know, let's not advocate the drinking of alcohol, uh, you know, among children. I love that. They talk about cooties. Cooties, it's, it's a very real thing. And on the playground, it, it's rampant with cooties. You need to watch yes. out for that. Your kids are not safe, especially these days. It tells you about the dangers of going into a bathroom with methane, Don't Mm. do it. There are explosive results. And uh, there was also one scene, and I think anybody that watches this movie will never, ever forget this scene. There's a shot of a fish tank. And it is the cleanest fish tank I have ever seen in a movie or in real life. And I really appreciate that. It shows that they care about uh, fish. They care about Mm -hmm. cleanliness. And it sets a really good example for these kids. And I love that this movie is all about being inclusive, And what I mean by that is there are so many toilet and crude gags in this movie they don't want to leave any of them out they want to make sure that they include every single one of them almost like they had a checkbox going down the list because who wants to be left out i know right so you've got a skunk you've got a toilet explosion you've got bathroom vomit a belching contest undergarment references and mishaps pies and paintballs in the face they didn't leave anything out and i really appreciated that because we're all about being inclusive And, you know, in closing, I would love to say that this film, it's refreshing because you don't see too many films this day or TV shows where men are portrayed as bumbling, incapable idiots. And so it was just nice. It was a nice change of pace to see that they're finally taking a jab at at husbands and fathers. So check out Daddy Day Camp.
8: And check out Tentacles.
3: Well, I think we've done our duty and we found the good in those movies that you probably would not even give a second look at or even ever say in a sentence ever again. So, Joel, I hope you had a good time here on Screen Cleaning. Now, earlier in the show, we also shared some very uh, heart-wrenching TV breakup stories. And I thought it would be fitting today to end the show with a true life breakup story. I'm not talking about TV shows. I'm actually talking about a real relationship that I was in. And you always brainstorm how you're going to do this. I was the one that was going to break up with this girl. And so you think, well, wouldn't it be nice? Because this was before we texted each other to break up or emailed each other to break up. I have been broken up through email, by the way. So I thought we'll go out for a walk. I'll do some small talk. Maybe give her some compliments and then I'll break the news to her, put her down gently. Sounds bad. Put her down. So we went out for a walk. It was night. It was a lovely, uh, calm and warm night. We were walking around our apartment complex. And we do the small talk. I warm up to getting to the big bombshell that I'm going to break up with her and that we should just be friends, as we always like to say. And as I say the words, I think we should break up. She reacts in a way that I never could have comprehended. Nor could any human being, for that matter, I don't think. I said, I think we need to break up. And slowly her eyes began to light up. And a smile formed on her face. And she said the following words. I'm so happy! And I was floored. Why would anybody be so happy to break up with me? Especially if I'm the one saying, I want to break up with you. (sighs) Seems a bit weird, but uh, honestly, the most pleasant breakup I've ever had. I never would have guessed she would have been so happy to be done with our relationship. Turns out she had a boyfriend that was serving on an LDS mission. He was coming home. So the timing was, was just right for that breakup. Anyway... I won't share her name, but uh, if you're listening, you know who you are. And uh, I'm glad I was able to make you so happy. Well, that's going to do it for today's show of screen cleaning on The Matt Townsend Show. I hope you had a good time. Like I said, we're going to do our darndest to help you identify the most positive and uplifting and just quality entertainment. And, uh, you know, you don't have to look as hard as you think. But uh, you can turn to us. You can count on us. To give you the best, and only the best, in quality entertainment. This is Screen Cleaning on the Matt Townsend Show. My name is Jeff Simpson. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll be back next Friday at 9 o'clock, where you can get the latest on entertainment news and us shining
2: the spotlight
3: on the good among the bad. We'll return next week. Have a great weekend.